on a working scale, it's right up there with Jordan Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a, a classic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right, welcome back. Thanks for being aboard the other ship for our last of three Halloween episodes for you coming here at the end of October. We're very happy you're here whenever and wherever you're listening. Thanks for spending a little time with us. I am your host, Chris. Every day is havoc around my house now with this soon-to-be toddler, Spiker. And with us tonight, we have Abdullah. The Chamber of Horrors, for me, is personally going to that McDonald's in Hammond, Indiana, the butcher. <laughs> Hello. Hola, muchachos. And also with us, we have Big Bill, not the Yeti, Merriweather. Beware, my haunted incontinence brief of doom, size 3XL. (laughs) 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 Holy shit. We have our special returning guest, fresh as a daisy from his Disney excursion with a bunch of small kids. Mr. October himself, special guest, great friend, Uncle Jamie Ward. Jamie, welcome back, buddy. My honor to be here, and I understand tonight we're discussing underrated sports movies. <laughs> or are we discussing Halloween candy? <laughs> or the best fast food? I mean, I'm totally down for fast food. Hearing them talk about the Taco Bell last night kind of made my mouth water. I drove by there and almost made a pit stop today. And finally, producer extraordinaire, Michael, spin the wheel, make the deal, but stay the hell away from me, Herrick. How about a bumper sandwich, booger lips? <laughs> Well, gentlemen, rounding the corner here for our last Halloween episode, rounding out the end of October, we're going to bring it back to wrestling because we're going to discuss NWA, WCW's Halloween tradition, Halloween Havoc, which ran from 89 to 2000 in its WCW incarnation. But NXT's picked it up the last couple of years. And I think by the time this episode drops, week one have already been uh, completed. Then they'll have a second episode, I think, the night after Halloween, because Halloween would be on the 31st. I think it's the night of Halloween. Is it? OK, yes. Yes, you're correct. My day's all mixed up. Well, you're on JJ time. That's how his yeah, days go. Yeah, I'm running on toddler time. And as you all probably know, he's running up the stairs when it comes to trying to get down the stairs he looks down and looks at me and goes eh, puts his arms out because he knows he ain't getting down uh, he will before you know it yeah that's what i'm afraid of well gentlemen we're gonna discuss the ups and downs of which there are many of both from the halloween spectacular however the first one held in 89 in philadelphia pennsylvania jamie was actually there not only was i there i was there from like 11 a.m oh well do tell well through referee scott dickinson you guys all know Scott, right? Yes. Uh, I knew Scott going back to like 1983 with the newsletters and his WWF happenings. That was what his newsletter was called. And his buddy, Chris Cruz, <laughs> had just been hired as an announcer for WCW. And I had already known Chris a little bit. So I hooked up with uh, Chris that day. He got me backstage and I just hung out all day long and met every single person back there and all the way through the show. Did Bruno come up and introduce himself to the real living legend i actually got to meet bruno at the hotel ahead of time before we even went very nice man yeah i have nothing but incredible things to say when i met him he was just such a gentleman 
just remarkable. You could definitely tell he'd be the ambassador for them and why he should have always been because he was so kind and warm. And biggest hands I've ever felt, most firm handshake I've ever gotten from anybody was from Bruno San Martino. Oh, yeah. You didn't get the limp wrist handshake from Bruno. No. <laughs> Bruno, you know, he was the man's man. Um, and that night he was, as Chris explained it, him and Chris actually went back a little bit because Chris worked for the WWF before he ever got into WCW. He worked in the offices and him and Bruno were old friends. As I was saying, Bruno didn't, he took the gig just to take it, but he didn't know where he actually fits into wrestling anymore at that point because he wasn't going back to the WWF, you know, where he spent all those years. And the NWA, he never really spent any time there, so he didn't see himself as an NWA guy. So he was honored to be asked to be a referee that night, but he wasn't quite sure how his ovation or anything was going to be. But I'm sure he was very happy when he got a standing ovation when he came out for that main event. Just having rewatched it, it was a great ovation because when you're in Philly, you have the diehard wrestling fans and everybody knew who Bruno was. So it's just kind of weird to see him within an NWA ring. Right. Well, the Philly crowd at that time was kind of like the AEW crowd of today because all the AEW crowd are smart fans. Most of the Philly NWA crowd was the same way. I feel like Bruno would have immediately, like as soon as he found out you worked for the post office, would have like went into a, a tangent about something that made him mad about his mail at some point. Oh, no, he, he was the opposite. I'm telling you, young man, every day I tried to go to my mailbox by 11, and by 11 there is no mail in the box. No, he was a big supporter of the post office. I'm wondering if you can talk to Pete over in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Are you all hiring? My son David needs a real job. <laughs> so do you have any specific like memories of the night itself, of the show itself being as you were there in the arena? It was a rabid crowd. I would say the uh, dynamic dudes got the biggest booze of the evening. And uh, the, the wildest thing was when the cage caught fire, the, the streamers or whatever they had on the top of the cage. And then Muda had to put it out with his yes. <laughs> like the best moment of the entire show is Muda blowing the mist at the- But for me, the, the highlight of the night, you guys may have heard this story before. You may not have. So I'm just wandering around backstage and Kevin Sullivan, I'm trying to look out, peek my head through the curtain so I can see what's going on. And Kevin Sullivan says, why don't you go out there? Nobody's going to bother you. It's all good. So I'm, I go out there and then as time goes by, Luger comes out on my one side, Muda comes out on my other side. And we're just, you know, just standing there. Neither one's talking to me. They're just watching the matches. Well, whatever match it was, I get up on a chair so I can see a little bit better. Well, the chair gives way and I fall and Muda catches me. <laughs> and he's checking on me and asking me if I'm okay and everything. And Luger looks over and goes, you're an asshole guy, kid. And Muda looks up at Luger and says, fuck you, Luger. Leave him alone. And then Luger walked away and then Muda's like, oh, you okay? You okay? And it's broken English. But it was a cool moment for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Even though I embarrassed myself, it was a cool moment. Sounds like exactly something Lex Luger would do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he was a dick. The only time I ever met him, and, you know, that wasn't, you know, he wasn't the nicest guy. The other two highlights for me that evening or afternoon, I met Gordon Soley. And I had met Gordon six months before at the Dusty Homecoming show in Tampa. And Gordon, I doubt he did, but when I introduced myself to him, he said he actually remembered me from that evening because he invited us back after the Tampa show. He invited me and Tom Robinson back to the bar. Unfortunately, Tom couldn't get in, but I went in anyway, and I ended up sitting there with Gordon and Otto Vons for like an hour drinking and just talking. That's really cool. 
Otto Von, what a random name, former AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. He was at the show, and Tom and I are like, we're looking at this guy, and we can't figure out where we know him from, and then it hit Tom. That's Otto Vons. We went up and talked to him, and he was cool shit, as most guys are. I mean, there are very few far between guys that are like Lex Luger. But yeah, he, he was really cool that night, and then I sat there talking to those two guys until Dusty Rhodes came up. Dusty came up and introduced himself to me, asked for my name, and he said, well, i got to borrow Big Otto for a little bit so please excuse us so he took auto and i sat there with gordon for about another half hour talking nascar post office and a little bit of wrestling wow and then on the same level a year before and i guess earlier that year too i had met lance russell down in memphis and i reintroduced myself to lance now while he didn't you know 100 remember me personally he did remember me being with the uawf group that had been there a year before and with the joel goodhart group that i had gone down with also Lance was a real nice person also. I don't think anybody ever had anything negative to say about Lance Russell. I think ever. No, every time. I've met him at least four times. And just a nice, genuine human being. I remember having an interaction with him when he got on Twitter. And I just said, thanks for the memories. And he goes, thanks, Chris. I'm still learning how to use this machine. But, you know, thank you. Nice. I'm looking forward to all these interactions here. I'm like, dude, Lance Russell responded to me. This is awesome. Yeah, that's cool. And then he was gone, I think, less than a year later after that. Around, I might have my time frame askew. But. Yeah, he died, I think, in 2000. 2017? Yeah, I said probably like five years ago or so. Around there. Sad time. But I have here, I have a list of matches and Luger versus Pillman from 89 is actually on that list of Greg, because, you know, there's yes. a certain guy who I know, he's a very good friend of all of ours that will tell you that Luger is his absolute best from 89 to 91. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I was behind Luger in 89 um, or 88 oh, into 89. I was going to say, I would add 88 in there also. 80, 88 to 91, that's the time frame. 88 to 91, I'm sorry, but his heel stuff in 89, fighting Steamboat at the Bash and then Pillman, that was freaking gold. Oh, yeah. And 87 was decent, you know. He was green as goose shit, but he was put with the horsemen and in a good spot, and he didn't look too terrible. <laughs> no, he was very serviceable for that for time period. And, and how else can't you learn if you're wor- working with those three guys all the time? Exactly. I think it was the matches with Steamboat that got him squared away on the right track. I mean, they had a phenomenal match in Philadelphia the night before the Great American Bash pay-per-view in July, which I believe Meltzer gave five stars to at the time. Oh. Yeah, because all the guys, you know, that was one of our unofficial smart fan gatherings. Uh, they all came in for that show, and then we all went to the Bash the next day. Nice. The 89 show was definitely one of the more enjoyable ones I oh. felt. And being in Philly doesn't hurt. No, it was, like I said earlier, it was, it was a hot crowd. So they picked the right city to finally have a pay-per-view in. They were selling out almost every show in Philly from, from their debut in early 85. And they were selling out head-to-head with Vince, you know, two miles down the road. That's the spectrum was that close. Yeah, that's a yeah it, was, it was like less than a 10-minute ride right off the highway. Now, the Civic Center was... How do I put this? What was a hole in the ground when they first arrived there in 85? Like WWF, WWF ran there in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, along with running the Philadelphia Arena. And the Philadelphia Warriors and both the 76ers played there. And a lot of college basketball was in there. But it was really a dilapidated arena when they first started. But by the time they had this pay-per-view, not that they remodeled it, but they repainted it and uh, cleaned it up very nice. And they could fit about 10,000 in there. And then the Spectrum got 19 thousand and something and they would sell out 
both arenas on the same night. Wow, that's pretty cool. Had two matches from 89 that I wanted to mention, and one was Doom against the Steiners. I can't totally remember, but I think this is Doom's debut as a team under the hood against the Steiners. Right, and with the woman as the manager Yeah, that night. And uh, the six-man match with the, the SST against the Midnights and Doc. Yes. Which the SST got the win, but it was a really, it was like a 20-minute match, really good match, and I, don't know, I just wanted to shout those matches out. <laughs> the SST, Midnight, and Doc match. That's where the SST came out with the music from Halloween. Yes. And it just, I mean, it just like set the stage for the whole night. Throwing the fire torches. Yes. Yes. Just cool as shit. Like, this is how you start off a big show. Like, you know, this is your debut version of this new pay-per-view. It's got a theme and you're playing like the theme song from one of the biggest Halloween horror type movies ever to kick your show off. It was genius. Great job by Dusty. Yeah. Well, Dusty's long gone at that point. I thought he was the one that had come up with the idea for Halloween Havoc, though. Did he not? I thought he did. Maybe he did, but he was he was long gone. He's fired by... Right, yeah, I mean, he was in WWE. I thought I read somewhere that Halloween Havoc was his idea. Very possible. But maybe not. Maybe not. I might be wrong on that. Well, whoever came up with that idea to kick it off like that was very smart. Yeah, that's... I don't know who it would be, because Heyman wasn't with him. They were with Humperdinck then, right? So, obviously, it wasn't heard. We know it wasn't heard's idea. It it was was probably Cornette, because... Well, there you go. The Midnights were the most popular team in, in Philadelphia outside of Ric Flair. Right. So what better way to start off a, a pay-per-view than to have the Midnights out there and whoever came up with that, you know, fire torch thing was yeah, brilliant. That was cool. A great opening match. It was Doom's first match, Drew, because apparently Woman had said that the Steiners would meet their Doom at Halloween Havoc, but she never made clear what that meant until she comes out with Doom. Yeah. I just remember immediately as soon as they took their capes off, I was like, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Because <laughs> that was like when, as a fan, things like started coming. I'm like, okay, I know who that guy is. I know who this guy is. And the one that really took me forever was Bill Eady. Oh. I, was, I remember like seeing him at the beginning of No Holds Barred wrestling Hogan in the beginning of the movie. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? And then they... Sh- like I'm like I'm watching the credits. I'm like, who is that guy? You know, and I'm like, Bill Eady. Who the hell is that? You know, and there was no internet, and I didn't know anything about the sheets then. So like that dude, and I was like, he's got to be from somewhere. That movie's actually better than it gets credit for. It oh, is. Yeah. That that could have been on your underrated sport movie countdown. Yeah, yeah I had it on my list of alternates. <laughs> Let's move on to Halloween Havoc 90. And I want to mention this because I think, and it can be confirmed because nobody remembers, but I'm pretty sure this is around the time that little Spiker had his hair spiked and bleach blonde like Sting because Sting was the champ at this point. Neither one of the parents remember when it happened. I'm pretty sure it was around this time because... We're going to skip right to the end of the main event when Sting and Sid are fighting. All of a sudden, this fake Sting comes out and gets pinned by Sid. Turns out it was Barry Windham. Poor little five-year-old Spike was so heartbroken because it's like, did Sting just get ripped off? And then Sting came out and won the match, but I was very, very confused. I said, okay, that's for a Halloween show, that's actually pretty all right because you never got a real good look at him. I just rewatched it now before we came on, and I legitimately couldn't tell, even though it's been 30-some years since I've seen it. I wouldn't know that wasn't Sting at first look. Yeah. I mean, the giveaway is 
because Barry Windham's like two feet taller than Sting, but I still would have known it was him. I think it should have ended that way with Sid being given the belt, and we don't find out until later on that Sting was tied up somewhere. Right. Yeah, like on the mothership or yeah. main event or something like that, right, the next week. But then that would have probably derailed the Sting and Black Scorpion angle, which might have been well, better you, off that way. You could have had the Black Scorpion to blame. True, and it would have played into the fact that Ric Flair was the Black Scorpion. With always voice. Yes. I'm sorry. I just hated that whole thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to find somebody besides Ric Flair. The ultimate ending was very disappointing. I mean, at the time, every week in the Observer, you kept reading this person's playing the Scorpion, this person, this person. And Meltzer never did give it away. But you knew when it came to Starcade 90 that that was Ric Flair the moment he walked into the ring. And nobody else has a body like that. And using Flair's move set, it's like it became Helen Keller could have even seen that it was Ric Flair by the end of the match. Right. I mean, it's like redoing uh, Spider Woman again, beating Wendy Richter for the belt. Right. Halloween Havoc in '90 had a couple tag team matches on it that I felt were ter- have been terribly forgotten about, and Doom versus. The Horseman was really good, but one of my all-time favorite tag team matches on the show with the Steiners versus Nasty Boys for the U.S. Tag Team titles. Straight up banger. I know it's not a high bar, but it's the best match Nasty Boys ever had. Yeah, they took the pile driver on a <laughs> And for WCW at the time, or NWA, whatever you wanted to call them, that was like the, the beginning of the hardcore matches. Yeah, because, I mean, they gave off the vibe that they all legitimately wanted to kill each other. And it right. showed, and it made for a better match. And I remember, again, as a kid, thinking that Steiners were actually going to lose. I didn't want them to because they were the freaking Steiner brothers, but... You know, at one point, the Nasty Boys were really cool dudes. We got to meet them in the 87 or 88 when I went down for one of the Goodhart tours. Uh, they were working Memphis, and we were at ringside, and they were in the ring, and we started chanting, Allentown, Allentown, because they're from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yep. And then when we had, like, a meet and greet later on, uh, even though they were bad guys, they actually came out and were really nice with us. That's cool. You know, when you mentioned tag team matches, Spiker, I thought for sure you were talking about the classic between the Master Blasters and the Southern Boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, notice we're not going in-depth on every match on every Halloween happening. <laughs> but, I mean, this show's kind of famous for being the last Midnight Express match with Stan, Bobby, and Cornette. Yeah, which stinks because they lose, but... Yeah. That match, I mean, I love three out of the four dudes in it, but it took forever, it felt like. And I think Stan and Bobby deserve better on the way out. But that's just me. It was almost a 21-minute match. But but it felt long, at least to me. I mean, that's a long match, honestly. For a pay-per-view that had 12 matches, that's a long match. It was the longest match on the card with the Freebirds versus Renegade Warriors clocking in at 17 minutes and Doom versus Flair and Arn at 18. So I also like the Stan Hansen-Lex Luger match on this show. Yes. Lex hung in there pretty good. (laughs) But Jesus, that lariat that Hansen gave him to end the match, I thought he damn near decapitated Lex. I personally love that because I had my grudge with Lex by that time. That match was my introduction to Stan Hansen. And I was like, oh, man, look at that guy. I guess maybe I had seen No Holds Barred by that point, but I didn't realize that Hansen was a wrestler and not an actor, you know, that they got to be in the movie. So this was the first time I really saw him. And I was like, oh, that guy doesn't look like fun to have to wrestle. And then you find out later on he was blind as a bat during the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes it even scarier. That's why it looked the way it did, because you yeah. were taking five rounds. The Starcade rematch is really good. And then there's a match I remember. I think it's from WrestleWar 91 with him and Vader potatoing the shit out of each other. And I'm like, that was my introduction to Vader that I remember. I'm like, wow. 
And that blew my little mind, too. I was like, what? Was, these two are literally beating the hell out of each other. Come find out later on, they do it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Halloween Havoc 1990? I got nothing. Let's move to 1991. Let's talk about the Chamber of Horrors match for a minute. Actually, probably for a long minute. Who thought this was a good idea? Are we saying in general or to open the card with? Both are suspect decisions, I think. And to put Sting and the Steiners, some of your biggest draws. Yeah. In that, exactly. it's like, why? And to open the show with Sting and the Steiners, it just seems very odd placement on the card to me. But I guess maybe it was, we want to go ahead and get this damn cage done and over with, and we can take it apart and get it put in the truck or whatever and not have to worry about it the rest of the night. True. Most likely, Mike, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Do we, quote-unquote, electrocute a guy at the beginning of the night, or do we save her for the main event? (laughs) Well, they had another plan for the main event. They were covered. Yeah, well, I think Ron should have gone over there, but especially re-watching him. Man, Ron was hot at that point. Also, notable in the show that I have here in my notes is a television title match between Dustin Rhodes and champion stunning Steve Austin, which I think might have been the first meeting between them ever. Televised, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I would almost imagine they would have met on the house show circuit. Yeah, but I'm just talking like out front there like that, and damn, was that a good match. Yes, it was. I actually just watched it. Right now, the Luger and Ron Simmons match is getting ready to start on my TV. You know, holy crud. All right, I'm going to throw it to Jamie because I have a question. Was it widely known, and Drew would probably know this at this point too, was it widely known that the WCW Halloween Phantom was going to be Rick Rude at that point? I was just a PWI reader. I believe so, because we knew Rude was coming in. Okay. Once we get into this time period, I'm starting to, you know, I'm still following it, but I'm not the hardcore that I previously was. From here on out, I'm starting to slip away a little bit. I'm still following, but not as tight as I was at one time. But I do remember watching this show live. Really, overall, it's a very good pay-per-view. I mean, there's a couple of matches we could do without, but... And don't say it's a Bill Kazmaier match, because Bill was great. <laughs> he, he lifted Nash up above and got him on his shoulders. I mean, they could have the guy to work. He would have been over big time. Right. I was thinking about Jason D'Agostino's favorite match from this show, Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. Yeah. Poor which- Doug. Christ. If you yeah, if you want to see how bad Van Hammer was, Doug Summers couldn't get anything resembling a good match out of him here. There was one point where I just watched it earlier. There was one point where Van Hammer threw Doug off the ropes with an Irish whip, and Van Hammer had no idea what he was doing at all. Like Summers comes at him, and Van Hammer just kind of steps to the side and looks at him. And Doug Summers is kind of like, "What the hell's going on here?" So he bounces off the ropes on the other side and comes back, thinking maybe Van Hammer'd be ready? No, nothing. Yeah, if Doug Summers can't make you look decent, then you know you have something wrong. Right. That's one of Drew's all-time favorites right there. On my list from this show, I had the Terry Taylor and Bobby Eaton match. Yes. Which was a very, very good match, I thought. And then the Austin and Dustin Rhodes match, of course, because you can never go wrong with those two. No, and to think that they would both go on the bigger and better things much later on, and this was like a starting point. Damn, Lady Blossom was good looking. Holy hell. Yeah, yes. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure it was on this show that they had a view upwards over and you just hear Shafani go, uh, hello. She's <laughs> like, hello. The Pillman Ricky Morton light heavyweight championship match was also pretty good, which with those two guys, you know, and hard to have a bad match probably, but. And then you had the guys who were forever in Halloween costumes with Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good old special forces. Yeah. You know, I mean, they should invite a Jamie Ward. Jamie Ward could have been the mailman. You know, they could have Jamie in there as the... Did they have a mailman like a year or two later? I don't know. I don't know. I know, I know Drew joked about having Andre yeah. as the mailman. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they had a guy that was a a mailman a year or two later in WCW. Wouldn't surprise me. And I actually thought he was part of this team, but this was Firebreaker Chip, right? Yes. Yes. And what was Todd Champion? He was supposed to be a soldier of some kind. Yeah. I think he was supposed to be a former Army dude, if I I remember correctly. I want to say Todd leaves a team and they bring in a guy to be a mailman. It it was, oh, I'm just throwing a blank. I'm going to have to Google search that one. Hold on, Charlie. I I actually just Googled wrestling. Mailman. And did I come up? You should. <laughs> Wasn't that the kid that New Jack stabbed up? Wasn't he a no, mailman? He was, he was a bus driver. Oh, okay. Although I type in wrestling mailman, mailman wrestler WCW, and I get Carl Malone. So, I mean, it's not wrong. No, that's, that's not the mailman I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, but, hey, at least Carl Malone was a legitimate mailman. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he wasn't terrible, but you know what? He tried, damn it. I wanted to shout out the Bobby Eaton-Terry Taylor match yes. and Steve Austin-Dustin yeah. time limit draw. I have a buddy, I, Dave Press. You guys might have seen his name on the yeah. Breaking K Fade page. Yeah. Press actually, when he first saw him in WCW, predicted that Steve Austin would be the next Ric Flair. And he wasn't far off. It just didn't happen in a manner that he thought it was going to happen. I'll be honest. I felt the same way when I first saw Stunning Steve come in, I was like, man, this guy's got it. He looks like a star. He's got the aura and everything. And I mean, the episode where I went back and rebooked WCW, that's basically what I did with him. Yeah. I made him like the next player. So I fully agree with your friend, Mr. Press. He is correct. that That's what Austin could have been had Hogan not come in and monkeyed up the works, which we'll get to here in a, in a couple of havocs. Ah, it's not hot. <laughs> There's no Hulkamaniacs in here. (laughs) The Pillman-Morton match with the refer eye cam on Nick Patrick. (laughs) What the hell? That was terrible. (laughs) Right? Are you a wrestling fan but just want to experience vertigo? (laughs) (laughs) Try the refer eye cam. (laughs) Yes. Hell. Oh, so bad. I forgot what it was when it comes on, and I'm like, "Why is Nick Patrick wearing a helmet? Did he did he hurt his head? Is was he having like <laughs> seizures or something at this time frame? Why is he wearing a helmet?" And then it cuts to the thing. I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's this terrible idea. I remember now. Let's, let's put this." camera on his head and show it like four times during the match like you'd think if you're going to that extent you'd show the whole match from his perspective the helmet looked like lewis tully's from freaking ghostbusters yeah i mean it just it was ridiculous was only smoking the same crack then that he was when he came up with the black scorpion idea what the hell <laughs> i wrote that down at the bottom of my notes and i wanted to make sure to mention it that being said let's move on to 92, which is certainly a time of a show. The opening six man with Johnny Gunn, Shane Douglas, and Tom Zank against Arnie Eason, Bobby Eaton, and Michael Hayes. First off, the wrong team won. Secondly, the face team got booed the fuck out of Philadelphia because once again, they're in Philadelphia. And every time one of them got in the ring, you better believe because they were the clean cut baby faces. It's funny how a couple years later, Philadelphia would come to love Shane Douglas. Yeah, true. I was never a big Shane guy. Shane is one of the nicest wrestlers I've ever met. I mean, he certainly didn't seem like it. And I don't know if he was at the time, but Mac and I met him at an indie show maybe, God, 10 years ago now. And it was like the dad franchise. He was just so cool. Like, he'd talk your ear off. Like, he was talking about one of his kids had a softball game before the show. And he was talking about that. 
that and because man go to some bad calls i said please tell me you want franchise the coach the other team he goes i wanted to he goes but i can't do that i'm a dad now <laughs> he goes so if you ever become a father think of your younger self and be like you can't do that anymore <laughs> just yeah, i met him backstage at the civic center and uh it was just like a real quick but yeah he was nice enough he didn't try blowing me off which you know some of the other guys did that night but i was just never a big fan of his whole act actually the only time i ever liked him was when he was teaming up with steamboat wcw great tag team speaking of steamboat him and pillman had a great match and this was the pillman teeter-totter cusp of heel turn brian pillman which then led to him and austin together they were pretty all right right mike yes they were they were pretty fantastic i would say i wouldn't say pretty wonderful that's a whole other <laughs> they were pretty fantastic the tag team title match with windham and barry versus the steve team of austin williams how could this match be terrible i thought this match was kind of dull to be honest with you i was kind of disappointed not the same magic without gordy no no and i think that's what it was no offense to austin but him and williams did not have anywhere near the same power behind them I think it probably would have been better if it was a 20-minute time limit draw, not a 30-minute yes. time limit draw. I think the length of the match hurt it a little bit as well. It definitely didn't do it any favors, I don't think. But how did it come to be that Austin and Dr. Death teamed up here? Because Gordy got hurt. Gordy walked out. It was something about a payoff. Or so he didn't want to do a job to somebody or something. But I'm pretty confident that Gordy just walked. That's what is listed here in the Wikipedia entry for the Halloween Havoc show. I'm curious how it became Austin that got put into the match. You know what I mean? Like I want to say it was literally like a, a game time decision type thing. Yeah. It just it seems odd to do that and then decide to go 30 minutes. You know what I mean? If it was Gordian Williams where you had that built-in storyline with Wyndham and Rhodes, then I could see that making more sense. But I think once you had to call the audible and replace Gordy with Austin, maybe you should have changed some things around about the match too. I agree. Was Watts still booking at this point? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting towards the end of Bill Watts' reign of terror, though. (laughs) You know, there were some good things that he did, like giving Ron Simmons the push to the main event that he absolutely had earned a year earlier, probably. And he had a great Um, barbarian on this show yeah, he did. yes that's one of those where if you go back and look at it you're just saying why is barbarian wrestling for the world title in 92 but then if you go watch the match it's like okay i get it i understand why it just looks weird on paper but for the good things that watts did do there were an awful lot of man this guy doesn't understand where the business is right now you can tell he's been out for five years taking the mats up off the floor the no moves off the top rope you know it just so much of it didn't work yeah, five years in the wrestling business is like 50 in the regular world. Yes. <laughs> but I guess Watts did use his influence. One thing that we all forgot about, Bruno was brought in to be the color commentator for this show. And I'm guessing that was probably a favorite of Watts. Yeah. Yeah, he also showed up on the 20th anniversary of wrestling on TBS. Right, that was in September, so that was shortly yeah. before. Yeah, the gala that Bill Watts hosted at the Turner Tower or whatever. And conveniently showed one of his early matches. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I love that they just had like the little red carpet out front and everybody's just pulling up. Sting pulled up on his motorcycle. Right. And wasn't that the last time Andre showed up on television was at that show? Right. He had his arm braces, didn't he? Yeah. He's literally dressed as Fezzik dang near. Yeah. Right. He had like the old country vest and stuff. I had forgot that. Did a great promo, though. I don't want to tell you the wall world on TBSW on my wrestling fans. (laughs) <laughs> well, we have our cold open for the week. 
And I think you got a new name for Drew next week, Drew the Giant. Andrew the Giant. Andrew the Giant. That's even better. <laughs> so the main event, blowing off this feud with Sting and Jake Roberts. For the second year in a row, Sting gets stuck with a shitty match. Even Jake has admitted publicly that this did not work out. They were not on their game together. They did not sing together. And it was a coal miner's glove match, for crying out loud. That gimmick did nobody any favors. Can anybody else tell me another instance of a coal miner's glove match, at least recently, that I may be missing here? They were over in Tennessee and like the 70s and the 60s, <laughs> you know, where that people are coal miners, you know, I mean, Portland. shit in Chicago. But what the? <laughs> I just had an oven mitt match. I don't give a shit. The last time I had seen one before this was in Southwest with the sheep herders. Okay. And I think they were feuding with scumbag bruiser Bob Sweetan and Eric Embry at the time, but they were using the coal miners glove in that old where they taped Southwest Championship Wrestling at the junction with the roof that was, you couldn't go off the top rope because you'd hit your head. <laughs> the ceiling, but they had coal miners glove match. And the glove, I believe, was touching the ceiling on the pole. But that was the last time I'd seen one before that. But the Sheep Herders had used that gimmick also when they were with Dynamite Kid, I want to say, 82, 83 up in Portland. Okay. So that was the last time I'd seen it, but like uh, Drew just said, it was a big match in Tennessee back in the, whenever they started doing gimmick wrestling in the 40s, 50s, 60s. I'll say before that, like, the only one I'd ever heard of was when Watts did the ultimate gimmick match of all time with, uh, yeah, the best dressed man angle. The coal miner glove cage match, lights out, loser leave town, tuxedo match. Right. Yeah, I was DB and Duggan, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah, I say Doc. I meant Doc. The biggest issue with the main event here is the fact that you don't gimmick the damn wheel and have it set to yep. be whatever match you actually want. You just say, yeah. how the hell with it? We'll just spin it and it'll land on one of these. Like, come on. And that pole, dude, that glove was 25 feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jake's 6'5", he's standing there looking at that pole on the top rope like, what the hell? Yeah, right. And even all coked up, he didn't have the guts to try to really <laughs> one I remember on the commentary, I think, it, who was it, Jesse? I think it was Jesse and Shivani. They're like, well, you don't even, technically, you don't even have to use the glove. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know if you're going to be able to get to this damn thing. <laughs> coal miner's glove, man. So, I mean, you got to use a coal miner's glove. You can just beat the guy if you want. But it was a great gimmick for people to buy the pay-per-view. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. I mean that idea was fine, but just figure out what kind of match you actually want to have, and then gimmick the damn thing so that it yes. stops there. Right, wait one side of the wheel so it ends up at right the bottom. Or do you know something with magnets? How does that work? Yeah, I was Thank I, you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Bill, Bill actually beat me to that. You set, I, I set it up. <laughs> you did knock it down. I mean, plus you could have recorded you. recorded ahead of time. Just keep spinning the wheel till you got right. to the, the match you wanted. Exactly. One in the back earlier. Yeah. Or if Jake was coked up enough, he just grabbed the snake and used the snake as like a lasso to get the coal miner. Yeah, that terrible Cobra gimmick was going to be the finish no matter what. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, look, he finally got bit by his own damn snake. Imagine that. It's a snake. Oh, it's it's, snake. Jake and Sting just didn't have any chemistry in the ring no. together. No, and this is why Sting was red hot, too. That's how you know it wasn't working is you couldn't even get it over and Sting's like the most red hot dude in the company. But that glove is really itchy, too. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no way they clean that thing ahead of time. You look at this card, and there were an awful lot of good matches on it. Steamboat and Pillman, Rude versus Chono match, Simmons versus Barbarian, and then you get the Sting and Jake match. You get the overly long tag match. You get that six-man match to start where I'd really like to know why the finish went the way it did. Yes. but And then you have poor Nikita getting hurt and retiring in the match against Vader. That's just how Vader did business. Can somebody call Ken? Can can we ask Nikita personally? <laughs> I actually want to hear the yeah. first nation. So, well, call Maybe John Nord. He can he can put the call in right now. Just kidding, like the party. <laughs> There's no reason why the show should not have worked, and it's a fine show, but it, nothing you know short of what we've mentioned to really be special about it. However, it's, oh. it's funny that you mentioned gimmicking the wheel because it worked pretty well in the main event of '93. Val with '93, I wanted to point out three awesome matches right in a row on this card. You had the Orndorff Steamboat match, Dustin and Austin had another great match and Regal and Davy Boy had a time limit draw match and all three of those right in a row on the card were just awesome matches. Yeah, the Regal Davy Boy match, that was very good. And Regal was so great. I really wish that we could go back and hit a reset on his career and not have him end up with the substance abuse issues he had for that stretch because he should have been a world champion somewhere at some point. He was so good. Well, he's world champion in our hearts. Well, yeah. I don't know. I was just stoked that somebody like made the TV title mean something again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed his, what was it, something at Queensbury matches with Ric Flair? Marquis de Queensbury. And he gave us the gift that keeps on giving in the My Fair Lady skits with Bobby Eaton turning him into Earl Robert Eaton. That That stuff was so good. That was great stuff. You hang up. I don't know why we had to have Bill Dundee as Sir William, though. That's that's an outside. He needed to double dip and get paid for booking and working. (laughs) Right. Most likely, that's exactly what it was. (laughs) Later on, when you become William Regal, I watched this YouTube series called Dead Meat, and they do like kill counts of all these characters. Shout out to James A. Janice. If you ever listen to it, does a fantastic job. Him and his writers do all this fun research. It's really fun for all these old horror movies. So I'm watching the one for Child's Play 3, and they're getting to the point where, you know, they're getting ready to do exercises. And he goes, All right, what's time for Mr. Regal? And it's William Regal pops up and he goes, War Games from the one clip. I'm like, That was fucking amazing. (laughs) And everybody in the comments is like, dude, that was like the best moment of the entire episode is Warrior Movies. You taking a clip of William Regal going, War Games! Have him on to announce things. He would be the guy who I'd want to have, you know, do like wedding announcements now for like the names. Just see how bad he'd butcher them and how great it would be. But anyways, no, I agree with Drew. I was going to mention those three matches in a row. That's a great 30, 45 minutes of wrestling right there. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the last shows to the WC slash NWA that we all loved at the time because somebody named Bischoff is just about to take over. Right. Yeah. If he has it by this point, he might be in charge by this point. But if not, he's just about to take over. Those three matches in a row were in such stark contrast to the opener of Ice Train, Charlie Norris and the Shockmaster <laughs> versus Harlem Heat and the Equalizer. Uncle Fred. Yeah. Evan. Uncle Fred versus Evan. Right. How did you get Ice Train, Charlie Norris and the Shockmaster as a trio's team. <laughs> was it just random draw or all right, who's backstage? We'll send you out. I feel like Dusty must have been back in the office at some point there to have Fred working and on the card. <laughs> yeah, well, doing the right. clumsy guy gimmick. Dusty came back when Flair left. Yeah, because he won. And, and he Dusty listed, stays until the end. He was listed as a producer on 91 here at the end, like executive producer. 
Uncle Fred was fine for a guy his size. You know, he was an okay worker, I think. But I just, that tag team, I don't know, man. <laughs> when Fred Ottman is the strongest worker on your team, <laughs> that, that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, Charlie Norris just didn't really check the boxes, you know? No, no. And unfortunately, Ice Train wouldn't be good till later on when him and Scott Norton teamed up. Yeah. They bring Ice Train back. I forgot about that. What did you guys think of the Nasties versus Bagwell and Two Scorpio? I know Chris mentioned that the Steiners Nasties match from a couple of years before this was the best Nasties match, but I thought this one was pretty good. Did you say Two Scorpio? I'm no, pretty no, sure. You said, I think you said Two Scorpio. I'm over here chuckling about it. Okay. Two Cold Scorpio. I was such a huge Scorpion Bagwell fan though at the time I think I was really upset about this because well I really like Scorpion I thought him and Bagwell worked really well together they were a good team so um, what were you more upset about them losing the titles here or Bagwell not getting a fourth rookie of the year award in a row <laughs> Well, I think I was more upset because they had just won them the night before on Saturday night and then dropped them at the show. I think that's what upset me the most. He had a one-night title, which was probably taped weeks in advance, but, you know, I didn't know that. I was eight years old at the time. So. Uh, I like the team of Bagwell and the Patriot better. And it just made more sense. They should have been the Super Patriots or whatever the hell Todd and Chip were. Here's the thing. I always remember the whole Special Forces thing, but I guess they just would announce them as from WCW Special forces they were the patriots god champion and firebreaker chip so like why did wcw have a special forces division of the company in the first place that's a as big of a question as what branch todd champion was from and why firebreaker chip was just a fireman and that made him a patriot i don't understand that either well they were preparing for that wwf invasion years earlier yeah, that's like, yeah, when you call the tower there, they, yes, uh, WCW forces, please. Oh, that's uh, so our regular. Well, I think, well, I think, I mean, you could add the second coming of it. That's what Ice Train Shockmaster Charlie Norris could have been, the second coming of the special forces. Yeah. Their team could have been cannon fodder. That's what they could have been. Yeah, the real front line. <laughs> now, that's that's funny. WCW special forces. I thought the Flair Rude match here was okay. I feel like they probably could have had a better match. Yeah, oh, yeah. You could tell Rude was working with a chip on his shoulder yeah he felt he had something to prove to rick flair i guess probably the old man get out of the way thing i would imagine i would imagine how long after this was rude gone from the company and 94 is when he got hurt he got fucked up in the match with sting in japan that was like mid 94 early 94 something like that okay, like was it, was it how before hogan came in it was right before hogan came in because sting and him traded the big gold belt and flair had the title and that's what led to the unification and then he Jonah won a Halloween Havoc, didn't he? Yeah, I think the year before here, 92. 93? Like Chono, well, because it went Chono Moon. Right. 93, he. Wendell. Oh, 92. It's him and Chono. He beat Chono by DQ at 92. Oh, so he didn't win the belt. No. No, because then Muda beat him for Wyndham Flair, Rude, and then Rude and Sting traded it back and forth. So Rude would have left right before Hogan came in. My memory is not totally askew here. Yeah, it looks like. I think he got hurt. He just. Yeah. So it's like right in in between that time of him getting hurt and then Hogan pops up. Yeah. <laughs> Because they had a match in May 1st of 94 where Rude beat Sting, but then the decision was reversed because Rude had used the belt as a weapon. And then it was shown like two weeks later, and then it was vacated. 
because of that, apparently. And Sting got it back at Slamboree by beating Vader. And then Flair won it the next month at Clash 27. And then it was unified that same night. Yeah, weren't they calling the one title the International World, WCW International World title? Because they broke away from the NWA at Mm -hmm. that point. Yeah, Yeah, because they had... But not the title name. (laughs) Yeah, they got the new title belt after Flair left with the big gold belt. They had a new belt made and that became the WCW title. And then they started the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship using the big gold belt. Big gold belt. Speaking of Rick Root, I was watching some All Japan Classics last night, and I had no idea that Root ever worked in All Japan until I saw this match. It was him and Doc and Gordy against Masawa, Kobashi, and Kikuchi, and it was oh, fucking shit. Well, what year was that? Because I had no idea he ever worked in Japan. I was going to post it in the group today, but I totally forgot, but I'll post it in there tonight. Wow. Yeah, it's really funny because, like, you know, Japan's Japan, and Root's totally trying to, you know, he does the gimmick. Oh, everybody back up, back up, <laughs> opening the road and showing off and it's just like everybody's like yeah. whatever I was like, I was like man if he grabs the microphone I'm going to lose it but I'd like to know right now throw you skinny yeah <laughs> way yeah, motivated workers <laughs> keep the noise down or make some fucking noise something would do the opposite <laughs> really I'm glad not. you went that direction because it was either going to be what you just said or a hate crime <laughs> when he got on the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Out of that business, man. Yeah. <laughs> what was really funny was my friend posting about Rick Rude wearing somebody's wife's face on his trunks. I wanted to write the whole dissertation about that. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, but I'm sure. surprised somebody else didn't jump in on that because she had no idea. So my friend who posted, I had no idea what it was all about. I said, oh, there was a whole thing. I mean, that was brilliant. Whoever came up with that idea. Great way to add heat to a feud. Probably Jake, right? Yeah. You would hope. Yeah, that shit was red hot. I mean, Vince might have come up with it, but definitely had to get Jake's approval before you could do anything like that. And Cheryl was an attractive woman at the time. Yeah, well, I just saw a picture of her and Jake from, I don't know, a, a signing or a fan fest or something. And she still looks pretty good. She's, she's still French with I think they're, I think they're getting remarried together. Yeah, oh, really? I think they're getting remarried. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah, they're living separately now, but they're going to move in together, I think, because she's got her own house, but they are getting back together. Or they are, and they're going to get married again. I guess she couldn't find another supplier as good as him. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Truth bomb. No, they're doing DDP yoga, man. Yeah. DDP yoga is actually pretty all right. Yeah. So the main event on this show was friggin' awesome. Friggin' ass kicking, Vader, you know, cactus beating the whole they held of each other. I remember this feud being particularly violent and being lost in Cleveland is like a horror movie, even though they played it up for comedy. But I thought it was kind of anticlimactic, though, with racing the friggin' taser at the end. It just kind of yeah. stopped. I'm like, oh. But up till then, the match was friggin' spectacular, I felt. Like the two of them just legitimately beat the hell out of each other. Like you said, this whole feud was pretty good. I kind of wondered, they didn't have the title on the line yes. for this match. Like in the buildup, did they make it out to be like if Cactus won, then he'd get a title shot? Because it seems very strange to have your champ in the main event and the title's not on the line in well, a single it was weird because Vader didn't put it on the line in the strap match earlier on in the year either. And like Vader won both those matches. So it's like, why? I think it was more the revenge aspect in the cactus match that he 
just wanted to hurt Vader as bad as he possibly could. He didn't care about the belt. Plus, can you imagine Ric Flair honestly agreeing to put Mick Foley at that point? Because Flair and Foley did not get along at that point into a world title match. I know. It just seems that if you're going to have it not be for the title, then Cactus probably should have won. But if you want Vader to go over, then the title should have been on the line. I don't know. It just seems odd and out of place to me. I think Cactus is gone shortly after this. So maybe this was a way just to end the feud. Because this is where Vader's going to lose the title of Flair, right? Yeah, at Vader loses the Flair at Starcade 93 when he's supposed to lose it to Sid, but we all know how that went. Yeah, looks like Foley was around until 94, at least the spring of 94. Yeah, because that's the spring of 94, you know who arrives. Well, so we move on, and Mike said earlier, it has Hulk Hogan written all over it by this point. I had zero matches on 94. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I mean, there was a few, you know, I could watch it, you know, but nothing memorable, nothing wow, nothing. Remember that. <laughs> Just Here's something to think about. We were talking about the last show, Drew, you said about the three matches in a row that were fabulous. And the first one was Orndorff Steamboat. Even I seem to forget, Orndorff had a nice little run in WCW for what, from yeah. from 90? Yeah. Coming in as one of the dudes with attitudes right through Pretty Wonderful. Right. He had a little break in between because I think he went to Smoky, Smoky Mountain. Mountain for a little bit. But he made some solid money with WCW up until the time Hogan comes back. Right. And had a lot of great matches, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the Steamboat stuff, uh, working with Roma. I mean, yeah, well, he had had the problem with the arm. It didn't affect his work rate. Tip of the hat to Paul Orndorff for actually getting something out of Paul Roma. <laughs> well, now hang on, because Power and Glory was a good tag team, too. Oh, the finish was great, but <laughs> I mean, the half muscle shirt thing and those weird Jesse Ventura glasses. <laughs> they needed help in the wardrobe department. Man, I. I wanted a pair of those glasses when I was a kid. I thought they were cool looking. Yeah, I like the Louver ones, man. Yeah. It was like early Buff Bagwell, right? Or is it Buff Bagwell? Was he part of the Stars and Stripes back then with the yeah. Patriot or Mike Craig? Oh, yeah. yeah. This was like his third rookie of the year year, I believe. <laughs> yeah. But this is like a two and a half match card. The pretty wonderful Stars and Stripes match, that was pretty good. Dustin versus Arn was solid. And then the Nasties versus Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. That was a fun little brawl. I so mean, there was some redeemable stuff, but it wasn't like a wild card at all. No, I mean, literally probably pretty wonderful versus Stars and Stripe was your best match on the show. And while that's a fine match, that should be like your third or fourth best match on a card with the talent they had on hand. Wasn't that Honky Tonk and Johnny B. Bad, right? Yes. Oh, God. Honky's debut, Honky's ending. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think you might have did a Saturday night. They probably already had that in the can, I would imagine, right? Duggan versus Austin. Yeah, nothing, I mean... I saw Jim Duggan, great talent, but not in 94. He didn't have any business having defeated Austin for the U.S. title already, beating him again here. But. Duggan needs no title ever. No. Having no. him in any title picture is just foolish. He's like your policeman, for lack of a better term, you know. His two-by-four is his belt. <laughs> oh, you're a tough guy. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like a Brody Light, you know. At least yeah, in the middle. South days, he was like Brody Light, but by the time he got to WWE, he was, after he got busted with the Sheik, he just went full goofy, yeah. full gimmick. I mean, we're covering, oh. as you guys know, the 1981 Georgia Championship Wrestling, and Duggan's basically in Georgia that whole year. Big Jim Duggan. Big Jim Duggan, and he, at, by the end of the year, he's completely stolen Brody's gimmick with the big furry boots and the vests and everything. Oh, well, that's how Bill used to dress in college. 
college, though, too. Used to. I'll bust out my furry boots right now. <laughs> I don't need any pictures of the apple bottom jeans. All right. I was just going to say, I was like, hopefully, no apple bottom jeans. <laughs> this card, it just shows it's like a perfect encapsulation of how out of touch Hogan was with things and how bad things got here. I mean, why is Mr. T in 1994 a special guest referee other than a Togan dipping back to nine or 10 years in the past trying to recreate the explosion of Hulkamania? in that first year, year and a half of his run as champ in the WWF, you know. I mean, Hogan probably pitied a fool and wanted to give him some money. <laughs> well, I guess. <laughs> Gotta treat your mother right. Get a paycheck. <laughs> but, the, yeah, this card's loaded with 19, what, 86 through 1990 WWF guys. Yeah, and we get a Dave Sullivan versus Kevin Sullivan match. Yep, and we get Terry Funk. Which, you know, they that's to- good. totally ignore that he had to retire after the match with Flair. That's right. all forgotten about by this point. Right. Well, my point was kind of a little ways back, but the thing with the Hulk Hogan and Mr. T as the referee, I said it before, but I'm going to reiterate my point that with the first WrestleMania, no one gave a shit about Hulk Hogan. He was an ancillary character. And, and if you don't believe me, go back and watch some of the stuff. Everybody wanted to see Mr. T kill Roddy Piper. Don't get me wrong, Hulk Hogan was part of it, but you are correct. Yeah, I mean that was it was. Check. I mean, yeah, I mean it, it was but, what it was. It was when I was a kid, and I remember it was just obvious, like you know, it was just. And Hulk Hogan, don't get me wrong, he blew up, but a lot of it wasn't just like you know beating the Sheik for the title. A lot of it was because WrestleMania was so big, and he was out there for everything. But he really was like, and now it's retconned and like you know Hulk Hogan all over everything. Well, there was a little shaky period in 2015. You know, we know that. But, yeah, um, Bill, you're you're completely correct on that because absolutely. back right before the first WrestleMania in our local newspaper, had this thing called Sound Off. And people call up and complain about things locally. But people started calling up and leaving the messages saying, Mr. T is going to kill Roddy Piper. Yep. And that was an ongoing theme. It wasn't Hulk Hogan and Mr. T. It was Mr. T is going to kill Roddy Piper. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, hats off to Sherry for getting involved and showing her ass like she liked to do in matches like this and we've got to make sure we beat Flair into the ground and force him to retire for three months before we can bring him back and subjugate him to lose to Hogan again at some point. He's too old. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. What are you going to do? Hey, they even dug Nick Bockwinkle out for ringside for this one. Right. Pure I guess Bach and Bischoff must have been buds. Well, okay, he was, Bockwinkle was in his like commissioner in what, 91, 92? Yes. So there would have been a time gap between that and this, right, where he probably wasn't still with the company. Right. Eric could probably throw him a bone there. Right. I mean, the show, there's such a stark difference between 93 and 94. Those three matches we go back to on 93 are better than the entire show of 94. Right. Oh, I'd say they're better than 94 and 95 put together. Yeah, because I just pulled up the card for 95 and boy, is that a show that happened. Yeah. <laughs> 94, I mean, yeah, it had, you know, Dustin and Arn had a pretty decent, I think it's the best Hogan and Flair one-on-one match, even if the, you know, you see the finish coming 18 miles away and I'm still trying to figure out why Brutus Beefcake headlined Starcade, but so 90 <laughs> oh boy. Year Hulk Hogan attempted murder. <laughs> 
First off, I don't know. Is there really a big correlation between wrestling fans and monster trucks that I'm just not aware of? Can somebody help me out with this? I mean, Medusa's got hers. She's got like a whole big thing with it. And Can you read about it in her book? No, I, I, I haven't read it. I don't. I've heard about it. Trucks have a low-key big following, though. Yeah, they do. Yep. I've got well, some, some people that are obsessed. I think there's some overlap in the audiences. But beyond that, if you go back to the glory days of Hogan in the WWF, like 84 through 87 think about how big bigfoot was at that time period yeah right bigfoot three bigfoot four you had all the different trucks and it was a big deal then and that's again it's hogan going back to that well of what was popular when he was on top in wwf that first big run and trying to do basically everything that was popular 10 years prior here right you could talk fish off into doing anything at this point right i gotta say that the matches there's better matches in 95 than there is in 94 wouldn't you because in the blue buds aren't they on 95 that's on the pre-show on the main event Um, not on the pay-per-view itself because it was benoit and malenko Yes, yes. This is Regal and Eaton, yeah. That was a good match, remember? That match is better than anything on the actual card. You had Road Warrior Hawk doing a job. Although, there is a highlight on the show. The reunification of the four horsemen. Right. With Sting being turned on, again. That's actually a good match up until that point. You know, I mean, it's probably the best match on the show up to that point. The, the Johnny B. Bad DDP match to open the show wasn't bad. But, I mean, look at the card. Savage versus Beefcake as the Zodiac. Um, then you have Savage and Luger later on. Luger versus Ming, which I don't remember being a great match by any stretch. Hogan and the Giant in the monster truck and then in the main event. You know, it's not as full of Hogan cronies as the year before, but there's still an awful lot of I just wanted to say I really liked the DDP Johnny B. Bad match. It actually had a storyline behind it right? with the Diamond Doll interplay and stuff. It was a good match, told a good story. And you could tell DDP was on the come up. Yes. Drew, on the rewatch in 95, I had that on my notes here. That's the first time you kind of see that page has got something right going on there but he kind of stopped dropping all those ridiculous catchphrases like all the time <laughs> saying good god after every sentence <laughs> he started slowing down on that a little bit and the self high five see that's good to like end your promo with it but like not after every sentence in your promo right right I mean, Paige came a long way from the way he started as a manager in the mid-80s, you know, right up through what, the early 2000s in WWF. He came a long way, and we'll get to see some stuff here in the next couple of Halloween Havocs that prove kind of his evolution going through the years there. This was definitely kind of got the inklings like, wow, you know, he's starting to put it all together in ring and out of the ring. And I mean, Johnny B. Bad was never a slouch. So I enjoyed that. That was one of the better ones Dusty came up with there in that when he took over there in 91. I enjoyed the Johnny B. Bad character. He's a bad man. Yes. And the kiss that don't miss. When he lost Teddy Long as his manager, that's kind of where, in my opinion, he started going downhill a little bit. Yeah. No, I mean, he was always a good in-ring worker. I mean, then, you know, he came to WWF and it kind of didn't click, but... Well, that's because when Dusty trained him, they taught him to be Johnny B. Bat. They didn't really teach him to wrestle in general. True. They taught him to do these things for this character. He didn't really necessarily know what to do beyond that. I've got a question involving this in 94 Halloween Havoc, but We've got to get through a couple more shows before we get that. Yes, you and I discussed it earlier, and I think I have the answer for you. Okay, well, good. So, 95 ends with such a stinker. It involves Hulk Hogan being dry-humped by Paul White and a giant mummy. <laughs> 
yeah, the less said about this, the better. The Yeti. Yeti. Not the Yeti. Shivani. And I mean, why didn't they just call him the WCW Mummy? Because clearly, that's what he was. That's exactly what he was. Wouldn't Turner have probably, well, no, I guess not. Universal probably owns the rights to all those old horror films like The Mummy and The Wolfman. Weren't those all Universal originally? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I guess Turner... TCM probably didn't own the rights to those, so maybe they were afraid of a lawsuit or something. But but why they picked the Yete for the name, I'm really not sure. That was Stud's son, right? Ron Reese, wasn't that who? Oh, Ron Reese was the Yeti. All right, I think Stud's son was somebody. Yeah, I forget who it was. Listening to the commentary on those shows, I think Keenan might not have been as drunk as he was later on for some of the shows, but we'll get there. Now we move on to 96, which is the first one under the NWO regime. And it's it's definitely got some going on. You have Mr. Mysterio Malenko, you have a really good tag team title match with the Outsiders and Harlem Heat, yeah. which you look at it like, oh, well, you know, maybe Harlem Heat had to carry him. No, Hall Nash actually brought the workload. They actually brought their working boots that night. Very good tag team match. Luger and Arn had a great match, and it was a pretty, pretty all right show, all things considered. I mean, what would you say was the worst match on this card? Either the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett or Mongo and Benoit versus the Faces of Fear. I don't think that was a bad tag match. No. But I guess the Giant and Jarrett, I mean, it's a stark contrast from a year before, or the two years before, in match quality. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I think probably the Giant and Jarrett, just because they didn't really click, I felt. Like, it didn't really go together, and it was more about the angle with Jarrett and Flair, and Flair and the Giant's beef. And- right. You look, there was, Malenko Ray was a fantastic opener for the Cruiserweight team. DDP, Eddie. See, to me, in watching them back, I'm like, wow, this is where DDP kind of really showed he could rise above, like, the TV title range, I felt. Agreed. And then six, Jericho was a good match. You mentioned Arn and Luger. Eddie versus DDP was the standout for me, along with Malenko and Ray. I love the ending. The ending is the greatest moment in WCW, in my biased opinion. (laughs) Yeah, where Piper comes out and they drag it on forever, and then Piper proceeds to win the non-title main event of Starcade 96. Yeah, he wins the the thing, but there's no belt, and that really made no sense, so that part sucks. I don't nearly as bad as they say, but that's a different show, but I mean, he got the whole David Spencer spot, too, so, you know, you can't go wrong with that. But anyway, it was great. It made it drag down, but you know, when it's Hogan and Piper doing their thing, especially Piper talking mad shit, I thought it was fantastic. I still love it. It's my favorite, and I'll stay. I'll agree with you, Bill. That was a great moment when Piper comes out at the end of that show. Hold it with his face, looking terrified. That was great. You know, it was just like my childhood. And it kind of brought me back into watching wrestling again. You know, I mean, like like Mike said, a couple of those shows I, I check and see. And, you know, because I always love wrestling, but it was irritating and boring. And when that happened, I was like, all right, you have my attention. You have I mean, because this is what we wanted in 84, 85, a face Piper against a heel Hogan. And we finally get it. Yeah. And they, they never really, you know, they had so much ego that they never really got to do what they should have done back in the 80s. But this kind of was you know circled around unfortunately it just was book shitty and they were a little old but I don't think it, the cage match sucks but I don't think the Starcade event is nearly as bad as people try to make it out to be it's fine it's just a hell of a lot of undercard you know it's just a great undercard just like some of these shows you know and even Hogan and Savage wasn't bad no I mean really? although the spiked no. hair bandana Hogan right? was fucking what ridiculous the hell? what the hell was that shit that was so fucking stupid I watched that the other day and there there's Hogan like in the crowd or whatever and i'm like what is this nonsense come 
on the brow. What, wasn't he filming the natty around this point? I, you know, maybe. What, wasn't it the natty where he was wearing the hairpiece with the, the spiked hair? I'm not sure, to be 100% honest with you. There's one movie that, that he did where he's wearing the hair. Was that Suburban Commando, maybe? I can't remember. Maybe Suburban Commando. No, Suburban uh, Commando was much earlier. Mr. Nanny was 93. Oh, so I'm way off. And Aaron Grafton's favorite movie, Suburban Commando, was like 91. I just remember some movie where he had the spiked hairpiece. I mean, it wasn't for his cameo Muppets in Space, that's for sure. Maybe Three Ninjas on Magic Mountain, or whatever the hell that one's called that he's in. It was so weird. Like, at first, I'm like, did Hogan get hair plugs and I don't remember it? And then they didn't take? What happened? Was it and then later, like, oh, no, it's just, it's off his head. Never mind. Definitely when, for an oh, for fuck's sake moment. When was Thunder in Paradise? 95? That was the run up to Nitro. Yeah. So whenever Nitro started, it was, that was when it was at its zenith, quote unquote. I'm finger quoting. But he didn't really have spiky hair. He had the head wrap on like they're always in that show yeah yeah i'm not seeing a real reason for it i think we can all agree though that it looked ridiculous it was stupid yeah. there's no point why did you do it hulk i think it's probably just for a movie role yeah i mean he should have kept it on the whole match and then when piper came out piper just hit him so hard it flew off <laughs> the audience <laughs> never to be seen again that'd be awesome well terry if you're listening please tell us what's up with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah get hot rod to ask him Ooh, we what's up with that <laughs> Going to drink can, libation across the nation. <laughs> you can see how good the booking was at this point in time with this card, with the NWO in full swing now, and the luchadors in and making the undercard so much stronger that they're headed in the right direction at this point. Yeah. And it's going to last for one more show. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Drew, what'd you have for 96, bud? It's the only match I have is Dean Malenko and Ray. That was the only match I had. I thought it was a really good match. Great opener. That was where I really saw the value of having a tone setter. A visual tone setter. That's right. Yeah. So let's move forward to 1997. Can I interrupt, please? Absolutely. I would like to just go back to what we just spoke about that being a habitual tone setter. Maybe we should just, going forward, refer to those or that as the Charlie Murphy match. Yes, cosine <laughs> 1,000%. <laughs> the Charlie Murphy match of the night there on the card. As opposed to the Charlie Fulton match? Yes. <laughs> Charlie Fulton, good hand. Damn good hand. <laughs> I don't think he was a habitual tone setter for the card. So Halloween Havoc 97, there's so much good stuff on this show. I mean, you have one of our upcoming topics as suggested by our co-host and brother Drew Samuels is five favorite matches. This show has one of mine because Ray and Eddie will forever be one of my just favorite because it's so crisp and so like tight and just the two of them at the absolute top of their game doing what they do. Wait a minute. Earlier, you told me you were pulling a match from this show for your top five favorite, but you said it was Jacqueline versus Disco Inferno. Why no, are no, you no. changing course now? Because I told you that I watched Disco Inferno versus Lash LaRue from 99. Oh. <laughs> and it changed you know. your opinion. Yes, because, I mean, come on, it's Corporal Cajun. Ray versus Eddie, that's an all-timer of a match. Like, in the history of wrestling, that's got to be top 10, top 15. That was one of the first matches I think I ever showed Christine with no context. I said, just watch this, and she's like, holy shit. That was just, like, superb. And, I mean, you get heel Eddie, which, I'm sorry, slimy heel Eddie, it will forever be the best Eddie Guerrero. You even had a good opener with Eugene Nagata and Ultimo Dragon. Yes. I'm I'm forever an Ultimo 
Cosmo Dragon Mark until the rewatch. I forgot he lost this match, but it was a good match, so I didn't care. Right, Eugene got over somebody. Yeah. They had to finally live up to their end of the deal with New Japan. Yeah, and I mean, our boy Sonny Ono was managing Eugene Nagata, so yeah, I'd like to shout out one of my favorite WCW pay per view <laughs> moments. I don't know what show it was, but Sonny Ono and Ultimo Dragon come out, and they used to do the gimmick where Sonny Ono would have his camera and they would take a picture together, That's and they went to take the picture, and the pyro just boom. <laughs> Sonny Ono jumps like 100 feet in the air and Dusty's like, I guarantee you, baby, Sonny Bono Ono just crapped his drawers, baby. Sonny baby. I was just dying, dude. I don't and know then, what pay-per-view it was, but man, phenomenal. So now my mission is going to be to go through every WCW pay-per-view of Sonny Ono on it just to find this moment. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, it's 96-97 time frame. Oh, okay, so that, that kind of narrows it down a little bit. Dusty forgot to mention, though, that Sonny Ono was wearing one of his patented Sonny Ono lawsuits that is stain-resistant. So there was no damage to the clothing after that. And then Sonny Ono proceeded to try and sue Dusty Rhodes after he heard that comment. Uh, (laughs) I'll try to use a Dustyism. All the transgressions of daddy wound up in his socks, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It rolled right off the lawsuit, baby. They rolled right off. You had Henning and Flair. You had a pretty decent Luger and Hall match. Yeah. And an incredible, and the matches that made DDP into a megastar all happened in 97, in my opinion. This trilogy with him and Savage was just so damn good. Yes. And I mean, you know, should Paige have gone over in the third match? Yeah, but you know what? He was still a made man. And Savage should not have looked that good in 97. The right thing for Savage to put him over in the last one. I mean, that was literally the boom. You're a main eventer. Yeah, you know, and Savage was definitely a shell of himself by 97, but he still made Paige look incredible. Well, okay. 50% Randy Savage is still better than 100% most other guys. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say he was a shell of himself, but he was definitely on the downside. But downside Randy Savage is still better than a lot of guys' best days. When he came back with Gorgeous George, that was when you could tell he was having trouble getting up and down. I mean, he, he was jacked to the gills, right? You know, but his knees are just roached. His back was shot. I, I tried to do it. He did an elbow on somebody, and you could just see, man, when he hit the guy, <laughs> he was like, man, not digging that, brother. Well, I think I read or heard somewhere that, like, that time frame Savage, when he came back, juiced to the gills, where before he was taking a lot of the impact of the elbow on his hip and protecting the guys. At that point, he was coming down pretty hard on the chest and letting the guy on the mat absorb a lot of the impact instead of him. He hits one on DDP in one of their trilogy in the trilogy. He hits one. I mean, DDP like rolls to his side and you can see he just was like, bam! Because it changes everything when he rolled like that. And I mean, man, he just, you can see he just squashed him, dude. Ugh, it made me hurt. Right, right. And even DDP had the ribs wrapped up too at the time. So it was like, oh man, <laughs> even worse. I mean, to be fair, DDP wrestled about 10 months of 97 with the ribs wrapped up, so I was going to say, I thought it was a couple of years he did that. But. <laughs> this is when it initially happened. When he did, uh, they did the NWO angle where they spray painted Kimberly. Right? Yes. And he did, DDP did the great promo. He's like, now, Randy, I know you probably can't. Was it Starcade 97 where he called him out? They didn't have a match, but they did a little standoff. He's like, I know you probably can't wrestle me because you got a previous engagement. I know it ain't with Kim and it probably ain't even with Liz. You probably got to go to Hogan's house. You can wash his car and kiss his ass. 
And Savage is just like, I'm going to the ring, brother. <laughs> <laughs> He's like taking his, he had like all, all of the NWO like B team with him, Virgil and Norton and all those guys. He's handing off his do-rag and his glasses and take this, brother. Hold these, dude. I gotta go handle this. Great little angle. But yeah, he hit the ring and DDP, somebody had a crutch for some reason and DDP had wound up wearing everybody out until Scott Norton got a hold of him and then they beat the shit out of him with the crutch. Was that the angle where DDP went through the NWO one guy at a time and kept diamond cuttering them all? Uh, no, they were chasing him because this was after he gave Hall the diamond cutter on Nitro, I want to say. Okay. And then they would always try to like run in on his match. That's right. He'd run through the crowd. Like, catch the first guy and then hop the railing and escape through the crowd. That's what uh, Jamie used to do when people used to get mad about not getting their mail. I jumped many a rail in my day. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be from people or dogs. As tight as Jericho and Gato were over in Japan, did anybody else feel like this match didn't really mesh that well? Yeah, I have that on my list too because it's Chris Jericho's lucky he didn't die. Yeah, he straight up got spiked on his head when they botched that Frankensteiner from yeah. the top rope. Yes, I mean he hit the ground. They hit, and I was just like, "Oh my god, he's dead or he's broken beyond repair." And then he just like gets up and he's like, "Yeah, baby!" And you can tell he's like scrambled. The youth. Yeah, and holy cannoli, man, that was one of that close, dude. Whew. Hashtag thanks for surviving, Chris. Well, what was it, Hennig, that saved him on that lion salt around the same time? Mm-hmm. That was on Nitro, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jericho took a lot of risks back then. Yeah. Thankfully, he tightened it up and got much better as time went on. When Jericho came out for that match, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I thought so. worked in Japan. They're going to have chemistry. This is going to be off the charts. And then I'm like, oh, that was a match, I guess. Yeah, it just no steam at all either. It just It's one of the things they probably had to have time. They needed more time. That could be. That could be. So they brought over another guy at the same time from war, Yuji Yusuf. Oka, and he was really good over in war, and he had a match, I want to say it was Ray on maybe Slamboree or something like that, right around the same period, and it was freaking awful, dude. Absolutely awful. But same thing, you know, I mean, you see it, and you're like, man, this is going to be great, and then dud. Just didn't either A, have the time, or when the crowd doesn't know the other guy, the American crowd can be fickle like that. Let's go to Bill for our analysis of the Steel Cage main event from Halloween Havoc. I mean, like I said, it gets shit on, but is this the match where a fan got in the climbed the cage and got in? Yes. Yeah. Maybe. What do you think of the Piper Hogan cage match? I like the part where Roddy starts chomping on Hogan's butt. That is pretty interesting. <laughs> and it's kind of wild. It's. <laughs> so I think it's honestly. I don't. I think like a lot of WCW Hogan Piper matches kind of like overhated, but at the same time they're so so. Yeah. It's not as good as the, the Starcade one, but it's yeah. fine. Apparently the cage was very unstable or something. Oh yeah, you can tell. Would, yeah. would it have been better with? Ryback. I think if Ryback was there to kind of you could land on him. Is he squishy? Probably not. He's probably... <laughs> probably not. He's probably like very turgid. So he probably bounce right off him. Okay. So Ryback couldn't really be a good safety. I guess he could help hold the cage up because I ripped the, the door. I don't know because it was a very unstable cage and maybe Ryback could hold it up but he's not really a stable character himself, is he? As we can see. I feel like he's very unstable. <laughs> is he more unstable than a WCW cage? I don't know. Time will tell. <laughs> We should take the poll. What do you think, Abby? Do you think Ryback should retire? You don't have an opinion. I don't have an opinion. Oh, she's so diplomatic. God bless you. I raised a diplomatic age. You hear a lot of debate 
between your fans in the Northeast that grew up with WWF and your fans of Southern wrestling in the debates of the style of cage. Like there's so much hate against the WWF big blue cage from the eighties and so much love for like chain link fence cage that you saw in your NWA territories. But then we have this, I don't even know how to describe this cage that they used in this Hogan Piper match. What did you grow up with? Was it the big blue cage or did they, was WWF? using the more... They were using a cyclone fence. Okay. That big blue cage didn't show up until WrestleMania WrestleMania 2 because Hogan knew he couldn't climb a cage or Bundy. So that's when they came up with the Los Angeles shark cage to use. I actually prefer that. I I like that cage better because it looks like you could do if it was legit, you could do more damage by hitting those bars where if you get thrown into the cyclone fence, the, the fence gives. Right, exactly. I mean, the only thing with that is if you're grinding somebody's face into to it. Right, but the, the you, matches I saw, Madison Square Garden on USA and from the Spectrum, all had the cyclone fence. Now this, I believe this cage is the one that went around the floor, correct? Yes, yeah. This is the Memphis style cage. Okay. That if you go back to the Lawler Idol hair match, where Tommy Rich hides underneath the ring. This is more along the lines of that. It looked so flimsy, and Hogan and Piper, they were both up there on the top trading punches at one point, but yeah. I can't imagine trying to straddle that thing no bigger than it was. Got it. I don't like heights anyway, but no I thanks. mean, you see that cage, you know neither one's going over the top. But that kid that came crawling in had no problem. Yeah. He went right up to the I mean, they actually covered that a little bit too much. You know, rewatching that, the way they cover the kid inside the cage, I kind of thought maybe he was part of the angle. Yeah, they did too, I think. That's why they kept filming. And he was just straight up getting his ass kicked. Oh, yeah. They had kids going there before and they no-sold him and pulled the camera away while they kicked him out of there. But yeah, that was weird. I mean, because I'd seen some other ones where the guys had come in and the one Mark Curtis took the guy out with the shoulder and then got him in the front face lock so he couldn't Right, yeah, and wasn't there one, I think it was in WCW, where Savage went after the guy? It may not have been a cage match, it may have just been getting in the ring. Wasn't there one where Savage just, like, tore into the guy, and they kind of had to pull Savage off the fan because he was waylaying him? Yeah, oh, yeah. That wasn't that before the, even the NWL? Yeah. That was, wasn't that this one? There was one where they had all the fake stings out there, and the fake sting guy tackled the fan that was in there with the sting mask on. I think they thought the fan was one of the fake stings. And the actual fake Sting, who was actually a black guy, when he tackled the dude, his mask fell off. Right. And Savage and Hogan were just beating the piss out of that dude. Yeah, the producers were definitely confused as to what was going on. As disappointing as the Jericho-Gato match was, based on my expectations, seeing him come out, the Hennig-Flair match, I hated the whole Hennig joins the horsemen to turn on them and join the NWO angle. They had done so much to run down the horsemen and Flair. Like, at this point, you're beating the dead horsemen. Horsemen and just no value in it because they devalued them so much. Yeah, it fired flare up or whatever, but then and it goes over. I just I don't get it. Yeah, I didn't they, like that either. I, again, that's Bischoff further right. devaluing the entire horseman gimmick. But they could have had such a good match here. You know, to me that's like a dream matchup for me personally. Like Prime Flair and Hennig, just unbelievable potential. And then this is what we get. So I just I wanted to voice my complaint and anger with. Some. The whole point is we should have never had it. That's the whole 
point. The heading should have never been turned to begin with. Right. Yeah, we had a little taste of flair in Hennig right before he left WWF, but yes, and him putting the title belt over Hennig's face and kicking it into it. It's like, come on, Rick, you can do so much better than that, but I digress. <sighs> All right. I have one match from 98 because 98 was definitely the down cry of Halloween Havoc, and honestly, it's Bill Goldberg's best match against DDP at Halloween Havoc, and whole card was filled with kind of disappointing matches. You had Rick Steiner winning a handicap match against Scott Steiner and the Giant, which made no sense. Then beating Scott Steiner in a match, I'm like, okay. A disappointing Sting and Brett match, and probably the worst wrestling match I've ever seen with Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Talk about painful. This was like Root Canal in wrestling match form. Yep. And so then I was telling this to Mike Orler. I don't know if you guys may have did this when you guys ordered the show. Goldberg and DDP got down to the ring, and then the pay-per-view cut off. I was so mad. And thankfully, they did right by it and showed the match the next night, but I was so mad. I said, after that shit fest, I'm 13 years old, and I thought the match was terrible. Mm. All the egomaniacs running around in the WCW locker room decided their matches should have been longer than what they were. <laughs> yep. Or what they should have been. I should. The worst fireball in the history of mankind. Uh, second, because as bad as that one was, the one also involving Hogan at, was it 93 King of the Ring, where he lost to Yoko? Yeah. That ridiculous Harvey Wimpleman bearded photographer yeah. shit. <laughs> His flashbulb broke on the camera from 1950. <laughs> fuck is that? Come on. That was the last talk he was seen in WWE for nine years. In that way, Aaron Grafton cried. Yeah. He needed to go away. We can't miss him if he don't go away. Yeah, and I didn't miss him, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the Jericho Raven opener from this show. I mean, it wasn't a fantastic match by any stretch, but it was easily the second best match on this card. And by comparison to a lot of the other matches, it looked much better maybe than it was. Shit, compared to Hogan and Warrior with Misawa Kobashi. I mean, come on. I mean, this Brett Sting match was kind of emblematic of Brett's run in WCW where you have these matches that you've looked forward to happening and then they happen and you're like, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm yeah, out of WCW at this, this point. So is this a face versus face match or was Greta heel at this point? Nobody knows. I mean, I wouldn't see Sting beat his ass, but that didn't happen. Yeah. From the end of 98 through the end of WCW, your face and heel lines really got kind of blurred for so many people. There was just zero continuity. And when they would start developing some, somebody in management would get fired, roll a grenade in the room and blow everybody up and start over. And then the next week, whole different storylines, different players, different everything. You know, they'd just hit the reset button every two or three weeks. <laughs> just ridiculous. So I think technically, maybe at this point, Brett was somewhat aligned with the NWO, so he would have been a heel because Sting was in the wolf pack and they were the face NWO group. Okay, so that's what this time period here is. I think. I'm trying yeah. to read through. The like, NWO split, okay. Yeah, because isn't this the match where Sting came out and had a goatee? Like, I don't remember that at all. That was Wolfpack Sting. I don't remember the facial hair in with the terrible red face paint. Yeah, that was at the 
hand. Yeah, it was not good. We'll say that. But yeah, just, I mean, Wrath versus Ming, Disco versus Hoovy, Alex Wright versus Finley, and Alex Wright wins. <laughs> Saturn versus Lodi, Kidman versus Disco. And then, yeah, I mean, you've got, it seemed like the whole Steiner Bagwell versus Big Papa Pump and Giant tag match into Rick versus Scott singles match took like 40 minutes. It felt like, it felt like an eternity. I didn't even realize that it was two separate matches while I had it on the TV and was editing because it just seemed to go on forever as one giant clusterfuck. Because at one point, Bagwell leaves during the tag match after he abandons Rick, then comes back out wearing, I don't know if it's supposed to be a Ronald Reagan mask, a Bill Clinton mask. I couldn't really make it out. A Vince McMahon mask? I don't know what it was supposed to be. And and tries to attack Rick. And it's one of those things where like Scott had the match won multiple times, same with the tag match, and they had to toy with Rick, and Rick comes back and wins both times. It easily could have been five or ten minutes for the whole thing and done. But like Drew said, it was the egos, I guess, and they just kept stretching shit out. And then we had a almost 15-minute Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash match that ends in a countout. And this was drunk Scott Hall era, which was terrible. I hated that. Yeah, that was the point where WCW is getting unwatchable for me. Yeah. When everything was these like kitschy gimmick groups, misfits in action, filthy animals, just like all these ridiculous little groups. The pure disappointment in Mike's voice when he was talking about the show and he goes Alex Wright versus Finley and Alex Wright won. I just noticed that drop in his voice when he said that yeah, Alex Wright won. Yeah, dude, seriously, somebody was fucking Alex Wright for him to have a job with WCW for a good solid decade. Like, how in the, you know, they're cutting people left and right and this dude is still on the payroll. And constantly pushed. Yeah. Well, his father was somebody. Right. Yeah, in England. How the hell? <laughs> you know, how does that translate to WCW? Daddy must have been good friends with somebody. And he you did have potential. You could have had a good Alex Wright Finley match here where Finley beats the shit out of him for five minutes and wins. But let's put it this way. I don't even remember this match happening while I was while I had it on the TV the other night and was editing. Is this so, disco Alex Wright era? No, this is prior to that. We get to that prior in to that. okay. I mean he's dancing at this point. It's before he becomes Berlin, but before he and Disco become a tag team. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's before he's all like take my breath away. Not a great show and it's clear the drop off you go from 96 was really really good 97 was a pretty good show overall and then there's this and you look at it and you're like it can't get worse than this but wait because buckle up buttercup because 99 mike and i spent quite a bit of time watching 99 today and discussing the fallacies of halloween havoc 99 of which there are many a lot of things that don't make sense yeah can you imagine being in that crowd and paying for that sting and hogan main event or being sitting at home paying a pay-per-view for Sting and Hogan and then Sting walks out and Hogan lays down for Sting and that's your main event. Yeah. WCW going to WCW. I don't know. Everything they were doing at the time would have just made me mad as a ticket buyer. (laughs) You know, match where you blink and you miss it between Luger and Brett. The first... That match went almost eight minutes, but you're right. That's how it felt. Yeah, because as I said, I was playing with JJ and we went upstairs and came back and it was like over and then Sting came down and then that happened. Right, yeah. And here's the thing. I missed the whole 
whole thing with Hogan coming out and laying down because it literally it's listed as three seconds for the match. And it's like, wait a minute. We, we get to the main event with Goldberg versus Sting. And I'm like, I thought Sting came out earlier with the title. What the hell's going on with this show? Because Goldberg wrestled twice on this show. Sting wrestled twice. Like this was like full on Ferrara Russo. Yeah. And what was very telling was I'm on the phone with Mike earlier and Mike goes, wait, why is Goldberg bleeding? Because Goldberg never cleaned up from the Sid match. Sid bled all over the place. They stopped the match due to excessive blood loss on Sid and Goldberg never cleaned himself up before the pseudo main event of him and Sting. Yeah, so we'll go back. The 99 show card started with Disco Inferno defeating Lash LaRue to retain the Cruiserweight title. Then you had Harlem Heat reformed versus the Filthy Animals of Kidman and Conan versus the first family of Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris in a three-way street fight for the vacant tag types. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> and I think had this just been Harlem Heat versus Kidman and Conan, it probably would have been a pretty good match. Yeah. But there's no need for Brian Nobbs on pay-per-view in 1999. Yeah, one thing I was encouraged by, like they were taking all those like straggler heel dudes and actually putting them in a thing like Jimmy Hart's first family kind of made sense as a thing. Like in Memphis, it was this big amalgamation of guys that made no sense to be together. They just all happened to be managed by Jimmy, which was like the entire heel locker room of Memphis at time. But, <laughs> you know, he had Porkchop Cash and Ken Patera. <laughs> right. Like no sense, but, you know, all these guys. So it, it made a little sense for them to take, you know, the Brian Nobbses and the Finleys and all these like Barry Darso and all these like random heels that they just had. <laughs> and put them in to some kind of a group where they can be like, okay, there's these guys. So at least they got used for something, I guess. World War III. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they were cannon fodder once again for when we need a bunch of guys in the ring. Were yeah, most of those guys working the, the Saturday night show that Sullivan was booking at the time that nobody was watching but was pretty good? Probably, yeah, because what was it from like 96, maybe 97 until the end? Saturday night had just crazy matchups you'd never think of. And they ended up being good matches a lot of times. Like yeah, Sullivan did a great job booking that. Right. And nobody was fish off and nobody else was paying any attention to it. Yeah, they didn't care. Get you a barn burner from El Dandy and Mark Starr. Yeah, I mean, like literally it was the craziest matchups you could think of and they would just be great in-ring work. Right. When you give guys a little bit of time and a finish. Yeah. <laughs> clearly defined, hey, you're going to go out there and you're going to beat them in 12 minutes. And 12 minutes is a lot of time in TV wrestling. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Is it Steiner and Benoit on this one? Yes. Yes. That was pretty good. It's the first Benoit match I've watched in quite some time. And of course, I picked the one where he proceeds to punch a steel chair with his bare hand, then go up and that puts Steiner down with the chair on top of him. And then Benoit goes up and does a flying headbutt onto the chair on top of Rex Steiner. And I was completely like, oh, I remember when I thought this stuff was cool. Now it just makes me uncomfortable, like yeah. really uncomfortable to watch. And scary. Uh, this was like weird Rick Steiner era with the sunglasses and the spiked hair and the dog <laughs> collar and just like the bad catchphrases. Yeah, just not good. But at least his spiked hair was real. Yeah, but I mean, like I get Scotty needed to be split off as a single because there was potential there. But Rick was pretty aimless from that point on. It Scotty hurt. doesn't know. Scotty doesn't. Scotty yeah. doesn't know. It was a pretty good match, though. I mean, I'm never the biggest yeah. Rick Steiner guy. I mean, I liked him fine. But he's, I liked him better with his brother. But this is it was a fine match. I just remember that. 
but I haven't watched it. Having zero context, if you want to watch a clusterfuck of a match, watch the DDP and Flair match because you don't know who the face is, who the heel is. Everybody's running in. It's like, wait. And I was so confused and it pissed me off by the end of it. I don't know who had control of the book at the time for the company, but the second that the Steiner brothers split up, I would have looked right at Rotundo and said, you and Ricky are the varsity club again. Yes. <laughs> they did that later, didn't they? Yeah, they took way too long and by then it was contrived yeah. and it was it had nothing to do with the guys. It was, we need something for Kamal to come out and jump on a trampoline. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because that was like 2000 they did that, right? Yeah, because yeah, they all played Dougie yeah. in that one time. Yeah, because I mean, they had a lot of guys they could have actually used that had college backgrounds and stuff. And of course, the main two who actually started the gimmick. Yeah, that would have been a big improvement. And those two could work their ass off and have... Oh, yeah. Phew. It would have actually made sense, you know, because one guy's joining the NWO, one guy would be leaving the NWO. Yeah. Basically, they could have just did a gimmick where Hogan like, well, there were only so many spots in NWO, brother, so somebody's got to go. And then they jump Rotunda out, you know? Yeah. So then he has an axe to grind, too. Good booking. So then they take their amateur skills and take them down. If you think 99 was bad, wait till 2000. Okay, well, before we get to 2000, this is where my question comes in. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My apologies. Which is a worse group of shows and more emblematic of the problems with WCW as a whole, the 94-95 Extreme Hogan era shows or this 98-99 fucking mess of no one in charge is paying attention and booking coherently. The late one broke my heart. You know what I mean? It was going so good for a while. It was so much fun. And then right around when the NWO got like 25 members, I was like... I want to say 94-95 because that was just a result of one dude's ego coming in and supposed to be better for business. It ended up screwing up everything they had built up to that point. Whereas 98-99, you could see the ship was starting to sink by that point, 98. And it was only cemented by the end of 98. That the writing was slowly on the wall. Yeah, but it was right after they were on top of the world. They were beating the WWF. And that was, you know, kind of unheard heard of for a very long time at least 10 15 years and you know it was kind of heartbreaking because i'm always going to root for the alternative because as much as i'm a wwf kid i like to see you know more than one place i mean now it's getting tribal and weird and creepy but you know in theory it's kind of great the more places for the guys to work and gals you know but it just kind of broke my heart to watch it fall apart so, I mean, for me it's the 94 95 because especially going back i loved so much of the r- roster and talent that they had in 92 93 to start 94 and then Hogan coming in killed everything and stopped it all in their tracks so that all of the focus could be shifted to him and like the 98 99 mess you get is Bischoff not having a plan for how to end the NWO and what to do next it's like he just thought I've got this one great idea it's going to work forever and I mean Starcade 97 should have been where the NWO starts to die off and wither on the vine Hogan loses to Sting and then WCW comes back and like dismantles them. That's what should have happened. And instead, you just let it fester and grow exponentially and then split into two. Then you get the finger poke doom and, you know, all that mess. Yeah, 99 was terrible. 2000 got worse, if that was even possible. Yeah, that was when they were literally dead in the water. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Before we jump to 2000, we've got to talk about Medusa and the Nitro Cologne, where she comes out to the ring, walks down, climbs up on the announce desk to show the bottle off 
everybody climbs down and takes the microphone and talks about how the beautiful color matches her big, beautiful eyes and is talking to Heenan and, and then she dumps all the cologne onto Heenan. And I can't tell still. I remember it happening back then. I still don't know if it was scripted or if somebody said, go fuck with Heenan. Because it's not like when Pillman grabbed him and right. he swore. Because that was out of nowhere. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah it, it was certainly a moment. Yeah, I think that was more of just a, we need a reason to A, plug the cologne and B, have Medusa go out there with her tits flopping around. Yeah. And and she took a shot at Russo and Ferrara as she was out there. And yeah. I'm sure that just. It's them who probably told her, get your tits out and go out there and spray us. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like it was like a humiliation fetish or something. Yep. Where with Russo, maybe especially wanting to. To have her run his name down or whatever. Yeah. Get the boss around all the girls that fucking refuse your advances. Right. Fucking piece of shit. Yes. You, if you're going to hate him, hate him for the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty to choose from, really. Yeah. Where would you like to start with that? Uh, gosh. He's a garbage human being. Yes. That. And then we had 2000 where the writing was on the wall. And it shows. I mean, it starts off with a pretty good triple threat tag team match with National Born Thrillers. Jindrak and O'Hare were so underrated. I felt they were just in the wrong company at the wrong time. Never got the fair share. Sean O'Hare, unfortunately, had substance problems, which is why he wasn't around much longer in WWF later on. And Kim and Ray, when Ray could still really go, and the aforementioned Disco Inferno and Alex Ray. The Boogie Knight. Oh, no, yeah. wait. He was, he was just known as Disco, but spelled D-I-S-Q-O at this point. Like Cisco. Yes, exactly. Well, it didn't change the fact you can't polish a turd. And Alex Wright was bald, had his head shaved, and just that whole thing looked terrible. But I fully agree about Jindrak and O'Hare. There was a lot of potential there. I am one of the few people, I think, that liked the whole natural-born thrillers thing when it happened. I mean, Spiker and I talked about it earlier this afternoon, but even Mike Sanders, while not above average in the ring, he was above average on the mic and would have been fine as a manager slash mouthpiece in a Don Callis kind of role. Yes. Yes. Had they used him that way because even Palumbo and Stasiak were solid. They weren't great and they didn't have the potential that Jindrak and O'Hare had, but they had something. They had decent looks and you could make something more of that faction than they did because, you know, the idea of pitting the new guard versus the old guard, it's an old story that's been told thousands of times and multiple types of media, but they just didn't do a good job presenting it and going forward with it. And I kind of wonder if Jindrak would have got the spot in Evolution instead of Batista like they originally planned. Does he go on to be like the megastar that Batista became? Yeah. Or not? I mean... On the rub, when you're one of H's boys, you're one of H's boys. Right, right. He would end up doing okay for himself down in Mexico yeah. with the yes. uh, Marco Corleone, Corleone. Yes, Marco Corleone, right? And he was solid carved out a good like i don't know 15 year career or something in mexico i think and that's good for him oh wasn't that reno guy part of the yeah back- cool character but he just didn't fit with the group no yeah like it didn't work at all it'd be like having like pampiro furpo and the four horsemen they're all wearing suits <laughs> and here's you know <laughs> <laughs> one of these things is not like the others <laughs> Can't quite put my finger on it. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, floor of the Marriott. No husbands, no wives. Just all the ladies in Vampiro Furpo. The wild bull. <laughs> all the ladies of Vampiro Furpo. Oh, God. 
<laughs> things I didn't expect to hear and see tonight. Vampiro Furpo and Drew's. Vampiro <laughs> 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 Furpo promo from back in the day. He, that's literally he's got a big afro, so his right. hands are like out here because he's got like Oscar Gamble hair, and he's got a huge beard, and and that's where Savage got the oh yeah from. Right. So he's like, he's like ooh. <laughs> Like a, like a bullhorn. Yeah, like the Auga car horn. Auga. But yeah, this is like you talked about in the 99 show, the crazy factions all over the place. But this was Misfits in Action. I forgot all about Sergeant AWOL. God, how awful that one was. I mean, I liked Chava was Lieutenant Loco. That was fine. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to lie. I was a fan there. But like, and there was actually heat over that, dude. Because Hammer wanted to be Major Stash. Right. And he was like, they wanted to like, well, you can come up with something else. And he's like, well, Major's better than Sergeant. You know, they wanted to like, well, you can be Sergeant Stash. He's like, well, I'm not going to be in a lower rank than a woman <laughs> or whatever the hell it was, you know? Yeah. It was just like, you gotta be shitting me, dude. Another fine moment in the career of Van Hammer. Yeah. No thank you, Mr. Hagar. <laughs> sure, Ken, let me sign that for you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... Sign. 55. Out of grass. I thought Shane Douglas was in one of these groups at some point. Was he not? He had Tori with him. I remember that. Yeah, because it's Tori and Douglas versus Conan and Tigress in an intergender tag match. He was with Perry and Dean and Chris and all those guys before they bailed. Right. Okay. What and were they? they had, was it the radical? No, it was a revolution. Revolution. That's it. Right. Because they were the radicals when they came to WWE. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out today. Cause I was like, wasn't he in a group with, with these guys? And then it was like, they're all leaving and WWF was like, Nope, we don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember their logo being like the dumbest thing ever. It just said like revolution. And then like <laughs> the R was like the heckle and jackal head and like the beak was like the round of the r i was like really you made the bird head the r that's what the fucking multi-billion dollar company art department came up with well i mean look at the wcw logo they had at the time though <laughs> so you know it just kind of what should we do for the r how about a bird head that's, that's great mommy <laughs> that's it gold star <laughs> you nailed it again <laughs> Yeah. Do we have Team Canada at this time too? With Elix Skipper and Lance Storm and who am I forgetting? Hacksaw Duggan. Yeah. Remember that when he was on Team Canada? <laughs> was that yeah, when he uh, had Mike Awesome also? Yeah, how ridiculous Mike Awesome looked in a fucking windbreaker suit. <laughs> was that when Duggan when he was the janitor and found the title belt in the trash? Yeah, after that. that. After yeah, that was that. after that. Because according to this, Lance Storm defended his U.S. title in a handicap match with Jim Duggan against General Erection. I didn't get that far in the show. I made it below. I think Buff Bagwell David Flair is the last match I saw. So on the, and just like, come on. Full disclosure, JG and I were watching this today and we got up to Loco and Cajun against the perfect event. He got hungry, so we went upstairs and I fed him. He took a nap. We come down and Christine's home and Christine's like, yeah, Sting's fighting a whole bunch of other Stings. What's going on? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so I think I can do it. She was like, I don't know, because he's beaten up like a Wolfpack Sting on the stage. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. It's like the multiverse of Stings almost. I'm like, what is happening? NWOs. You had the silver NWO and the black and the white and the red and the fucking green. Yeah, but I'm like, 
Being this is your life against Jeff Jarrett, I'm like, come on. So in full disclosure, I don't think I'd ever seen this show. And then I realized why. And looking at it now, I didn't miss much at all. I don't think I probably saw it either because it would have been about a month before this that I moved from the apartment I was living in into a house with a couple of friends. And I don't think I moved my cable over. So I don't think I ever saw this show until the half of it that I watched today. It color me unimpressed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. One of the biggest problems I had with the product at that time was the announcers of like Scott Hudson and fucking Mark Madden. And See, I didn't mind Hudson too much, but Mark Madden, good God. And it was just when you don't have familiarity on the microphone for your matches, it's hard to keep people engaged, in my opinion. I think you need like a, a familiar voice. It doesn't have to be like legendary, you know, like everybody still thinks Michael Cole's the new guy. and He's been there longer than any anybody ever has 26 years yeah uh, and michael cole he's pretty damn good you know <laughs> he actually is we hated him for so long just because he was fucking new <laughs> who's this fucking well, guy to be fair if you were watching in 97 when he was backstage reporter frosted tips michael cole that impression carried with him for a while yeah well everybody's bad when they first start though you know yeah but i mean then he replaced jr and that pissed people off yeah but what a fucking dude, man, for enduring all that shit. Right. Then there was the whole Vince yelling in his ear constantly era. And then there was the heel announcer with the coal mine, <laughs> plexiglass box. <laughs> I love that. The, the beat Lawler at WrestleMania. And now there's just like, hey, Michael Cole's on this show. I like it. I'm glad. And it's crazy that it came to that. But yeah, the announcing, I mean, Stevie Ray was entertaining in a Dusty Rhodes sort of way because you knew he was going to talk about the yaks. He was going to call somebody a fruit booty and he was going to say the suckers gots to know. And, you know, he was going to hit all the catchphrases and everything. But yeah, the Mark Madden stuff, I God, I hated him. Yeah, he's awful. On one of the earlier Havocs that I was watching in the last week, he was like backstage helping somebody do the WCW.com chat or whatever. It's like, God, they had him around on payroll for way too long. Talk about a dude that still thinks he's important. He's still blowing smoke up everybody's ass and trying to act all important. And it's like, dude, you weren't even relevant then. You know, he's like a know-it-all. He does like Pittsburgh sports radio and people hate him. I mean, people swear by him, but a lot of people hate him. And I can't say I believe him. When your show is main evented by Goldberg versus Chronic in a handicap match, you know that things aren't great. That card did the Von Eric thing. (laughs) You could say the Chronic bad. I do think I'll go back and try and catch the Booker T-Scott Steiner match because it might have been good. Yeah, at that point, Booker T was the only guy that Scott Steiner wouldn't just try to swallow. Right. And even then, he was so kind of immobile and he got so top-heavy at that point he could barely even fucking stand up without falling over. Yeah, I'm guessing it tops out at good and that's heavily carried by Booker at this point, but there's at least potential for a good match. I don't know that it reaches that level, but that's probably the only thing that I'll check out that I didn't get to because I don't need to see Mike Sanders versus Ernest Miller as entertaining as the cat was. Everybody call my mama. (laughs) I don't need to see Vampiro ever, even if Mike Awesome is beating him, so no. And I don't need to see General Rection winning the U.S. title from Lance Storm and Jim Duck. And definitely not Sting versus Jeff Jarrett and the multiverse of Stings. Can we talk about Vampiro for a second? Sure. I wanted so fucking bad for that guy to be good. Yeah. 
looking great look, you know, the right. with the you know the tattoos, and he had a good build and the cool dreads, and you know the I liked when he did like the skull paint. You know, I didn't like the clown part, but he had a fucking perfect look, and you know he could do some things, but he had like no, he had zero psychology, and his promos were blech. But the look, man, I mean, he had the look. Yeah, he just didn't have the charisma or the work rate to go with. Yeah, I mean, it's like fuck, dude. <laughs> Why couldn't Brad Armstrong look like you? Right. (laughs) Why can't you work like Brad Armstrong? Right, right. But man... I mean, a great look and gimmick, but he just, yeah, awful. Just awful. Here we go. Since it's Halloween time, let's build a Franken-wrestler from this era, WCW. They get Vampiro's look, Brad Armstrong's work rate, and they can have Mike Sanders' charisma and Mike's skills. And that's a guy that can at least get to the U.S. title level. You can give him Mike Awesome's, like, build. You make him look like Vampiro, but have him built like Mike Awesome. Okay. I mean, like a 6'4", 6'5", Vampiro that big, that'd be kind of cool. I 100% agree, Drew. When he debuted, I'm like, holy shit, who's this guy? Yeah, I'd, pretty seen fucking for, cool. I'd seen him for years prior, but and read about him and seen pictures and stuff, you know, of course, before the advent of the World Wide Web. And I didn't see him until years later on VHS. But yeah, it was just like, oh, man, like what? But I mean, I, that, maybe that's a symptom of breaking in and in, in Mexican wrestling and Lucha Libre because it's a completely different deal. Right. So I don't know, but who knows? But yeah, I was just like, like by the time he'd got to WCW, I was like, well, maybe he's good now. It's been like 20 years. <laughs> nope. Like a block of stinky cheese somebody left in the glove box while they were traveling. <laughs> Where is my travel cheese? <laughs> Sweet William you knows. Know, just a pat down pockets. Like, I know I had it. Certain kinds of cheese, it's good to have found cheese, but like traveling with the wrong kind is the bad news. Yeah. He's like, like a pile of Fermunda cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Like the next thing you know, you have a mess baby growing in your left pocket. Yeah, Bill's got travel cheese and Mike has supplemental cheese. That's right. (laughs) I had another supplemental cheese grilled cheese sandwich tonight. And it was delicious. Supplemental cheese quesadilla. Yum. Just a bad card. There's no wonder why they were ready to do a hard reset on this whole company six months later. Yeah, those last pay-per-views like Sin and Greed. Yeah. I just remember like seeing them on the network now and I'm like, man, if I spent 40 9.95, I would throw my television out the window <laughs> and then go right <laughs> it. You know, I deserve it too. <laughs> Be like the Cowboys fans after they lose a game, but they punch the holes through the TVs and everything. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're just raping people's wallets, charging them for this shit. Yeah. What kind of goddamn fool would be paying for it? But I did have friends, man, that were just like staunch, like loyalists. Like, we're having our pay per view party. I don't give a shit, you know? (laughs) Like, we want people in food. So, (laughs) and I'd still show up to them, and they'd be, I'd just be like, God, this is awful. So, I'm trying to think here. Bean dip's incredible, though. <laughs> I'm looking back the month prior for Fall Brawl, trying to remember if I ordered this pay per view or not. Because this would have been the last one where I had cable, what could have ordered it, and it's looking pretty shitty too. Yeah, I didn't make it out of '98 on the pay per views with WCW. It was just I might have made it up to around the time of Warrior and Hogan. I know that I would have made it all the way through '99, but 2000, I'm not a hundred percent sure because things just they got so bad then because i had 
when I got my first apartment in January of 99, I had two TVs in my living room specifically so I could watch Nitro and Raw at the same time. And it didn't take very long to where I didn't need to do that. And I could play in 64 on one and watch Raw. And then later I could catch the Nitro replay if I wanted. Yeah, it was pretty terrible by the end. I would usually watch Raw and then watch either the replay of Nitro or just hate the other one. <laughs> Whichever. In the very beginning, though, I would just flip and flip and flip and flip and flip. Yeah, it would depend on who was on. If, like, Terry Funk was on WCW, I'm going to stay on. But if, like, it was a pretty lame thing going on, I mean, Rob was kind of more entertaining. It was because it was so crazy. So I'd probably say I'd watch. But I, I remember my buddy Dave videotaping a lot of stuff when we watched one of the other shows back. I'm thinking more often than not, though, it would be Raw because he liked to rewind all the rock parts and stuff because he thought it was so funny, which it was. But after the fifth time, man, slow down. You know, I mean, we were pretty drunk, but. <laughs> All right. So as always, thanks for listening. And a special thank you to Jamie for taking an off night to come hang out with us, especially because it's between Philly's playoff games. Why don't you tell us where else we can listen to you at, bud? Well, you can also hear me and my buddy Ray Russell on the Regional Wrestling Podcast. Uh, Ray puts that one out every couple of weeks. Myself and Ray, we do Georgia Championship Wrestling from 1981. Ray does a hell of a job with research. And I'm basically just along for the ride, give my opinion and a little bit of analysis. But Ray does a deep dive. We go over every single house show, every single TV taping. And even I learn something I don't know just about every week from doing it. And also Ray does another one, 1986 Mid-South, which is now uh, UWF with my good friend, with my good friend Roman Gomez. I just heard from him this afternoon. Again, they cover every single television show uh, complete with audio. It's a great thing to listen to. Then Ray also does two other shows covering WWF and the Monday Night Wars. So if you get a chance, check out both podcasts on the Russell Copia Podcast Network. We most certainly will. And, you know, again, thanks for coming back on. You're welcome anytime. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to do this again before the end of 2023 with you. Well, we want to thank you again for your time, Uncle Jamie. It's always a pleasure to have you with us here. And I bought my Uncle Jamie shirt this week, so I'm waiting for it to come in. Hell yeah. (laughs) And not that anybody else can see, but I have my other ship t-shirt on. I noticed that as soon as we started. Tonight. I had to release my postal uniform today. <laughs> and it made a debut in Disney World also. We're big in Germany. Yes, we are. Das Wonder Kid, Alex Wright. Yeah. We're somewhere below David Hasselhoff. I was yes. just about to ask. Yeah, miles ahead. <laughs> Hasselhoff, the other ship. It's right there. And my buddy, oh, that's right, Otto. Otto's not with us anymore, so poor Otto. Again, my pleasure to be here tonight, guys. I'm just glad I was able to do it. And this wasn't my best topic tonight, so hopefully everybody understands why you didn't hear my voice overtaking everyone like I normally do. You got to hear everybody that you should be hearing instead of my voice for a change. You were perfect. Anytime. I love being here. I love all you guys and take care. We want to remind everybody to check out our friends at Shoreline Gems. If you're looking for super unique gift for somebody, check them out on Facebook. Shoreline Gems. Unique pieces of jewelry, one of a kind. Also, check out our good friends Luna Worldcast, courtesy of Megafauna Records. You can find them on online at lunaworldcast.com also you can join their patreon and view their gigs on a live stream which they'll be appearing soon in new york city i want to say it's new year's eve i think wow and, uh, yeah so definitely check them out online you can check out their live gigs like i said and also when you're a patron to them you get 15 percent off of their merch sweatshirts t-shirts hats check them out luna worldcast courtesy of megafauna records lunaworldcast.com definitely want to check those guys out also you want to give our buddy jason d'agostino and his buddy David a listen over on Nat
Podcast Pod, wherever you podcast and YouTube, you can check them out. Say hello to our buddy Dags. Let them know you heard about NAS Pod from your buddies here at the other ship, if you're so inclined. And we also finally want to give a shout out to our friends, the girls over at What's the Vibe Podcast, Katie and Amy, doing a great show wherever you podcast. You can find them and also on YouTube, which I highly recommend. They have a great show, great editing. They just did a phenomenal episode about Travis the Chimp that maimed that woman in Connecticut. Insane stuff. Check it out. And while we're shouting people out, we want to extra special shout out this week to our favorite Florida man, Shard Johnson down there, getting prepped up for his big run on top, man. So we're with you, Shard. We love you, buddy. Get well soon. Also want to say what's up to Stephen Burrow up in New England. Thinking of you, buddy. Everybody's big brother, man. We love you, dude. Love you guys. All right, kids. Let's uh, gather around and we're going to do a little segment called First World Problems Corner. What really sucks is fancy new dishwasher I got. I haven't had a dishwasher in 20 years. Well, no. Yeah, that's true because I never had one. Whatever. But the new one I got, I don't know. So anyways, so my dishwasher just pooped the bed. It's like two, three months old at most. And, you know, it supposedly got fixed and it pooped the bed again. But the nice thing about it is I'm hand washing dishes. It's great. It's fantastic. It's old school, bringing me back to 20 years of trauma, helping the folks out. And for some reason, always being with women who didn't like to do dishes. So I don't know what that means. But anyway, so I'd wash all these dishes, but I noticed this beautiful cup that came from the other ship store. And it's amazing. Tea public, you could drop it and it would bounce, but it's made out of glass, so it's legit. Okay, don't drop it. You probably don't want to do that because you might chip it, but honestly, you may not panic because it's that thick with two C's, as the kids say nowadays. It's fantastic, but so are the t-shirts with tons of awesome designs. Drew Fisar Jones. And, oh my goodness, there's pins, posters, all kinds of cool stuff. There's the Legend t-shirt that goes to the Pudding Fund if you buy it. Fantastic. And I believe that there are tote bags. And if you know anything about how we roll, tote bags are important to us. It carries a lot of our grief, a lot of our trauma, a lot of our happiness, a lot of our testicles, a lot of our food, a lot of our travel cheese. Anyway, there's a lot of good stuff there, you guys. Please check it out. They have a sale quite often, usually every couple days. Their shirts are very well made, and their hoodies are pretty cool, too. You know, I'm going to say it every week until they do it, but I wish they'd fit a little better. So come on, Public. Let's get bigger sizes, but your quality can't be messed with, and that's legit. That's a shoot, brother. But anyway, as I'm babbling on, if you guys could just you know maybe babble on to whatever sort of app or whatever you used to listen to us and give us a rating or subscription or both or maybe even a nice little review comment or a mean one but hey any news is good news am i right you know get that cheap heat brother you know so please if you can like and review and subscribe to our show it just really puts us out there and we're big in germany but we want to be back in the united states charts actually it's fine you know but it'd be pretty cool you know bragging rights or whatever but thanks a lot guys I want to remind you check out our friends the josephines at the josephines.net you can find all your tour information you can buy merch t-shirts hats sweatshirts you can get your albums your cds so check out the site if the guys are in your area and you're not a hermit and hate being around people like me you'll go see them give them a follow check out their music buy a cd buy an album listen to them we also want to remind you to check out hot rod rodney swift and his wife at it's mr and mrs swift 
Swift 2017 on YouTube. See what they're up to. Get some affirmation and daily positivity from Rodney himself. We also want to shout out a few people from our Facebook group. First off, Bruce and Cindy Cohen. Bruce is the man. I can't wait to get to see them in April at Glory Days GrappleCon. Everybody needs to check that out. Put that on your calendar. April 20th, 2024. Be there. My brain just died. <laughs> While you're thinking of it, I'll shout out to Sauce Gardner, the MVP, and Uncle Jamie, as previously mentioned, for making purchases from said promoted other ship T-Public storefront. So, shout out to those boys for supporting the cause. It's just great that they're wearing all the gear and shirts and stuff everywhere, like getting the name out there. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Stephen Rafel too. Mm-hmm. Representing the brand, everybody. Come on with it. I want to give a shout out to Tim Graff, who today offered to marry and move in with Drew for some of the food that Drew cooks and, and <laughs> pictures of in the group. What the hell did you say something about depending on what your level of anger yeah, well, or whatever the hell is like? Uh, well, I think it's how aggressive your needs are. Yeah, there so, you go. Yeah. So congrats on the bending nuptials yeah. or whatever may be happening there. I'll go straight whore. We're not fucking, pal, but if you buy me a car, you can fucking sleep on the couch. <laughs> I'll make you fucking macaroni every day. Yeah. We both gotta eat. <laughs> Tim's always saying something like that that just kills me. So thank you, Tim Graff, for always keeping us entertained. And we're looking forward to having you on the show here in a couple of weeks. Yes. And I always look forward to you making Facebook posts where I feel the urge to tag everyone so you came to peer pressure about doing something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my old drummer, Mikey today for making a waffle sandwich and garlic bread with like look like it was yes. genius it was yeah, something right yeah he's a good guy and a hell of a drummer man miss you buddy we gotta jam again soon sometimes <laughs> gotta say the waffle maker is an underutilized kitchen appliance I've cooked burgers in the waffle iron before. I've made sandwiches in it. You can do a lot. It's not just for breakfast, people. Get creative. Get your waffle iron out. Cook up some shit and put pictures of it in our Facebook group. What Facebook group is that, you ask? Tell them, Chris. That would be the other ship Facebook group, Mike. 276 members strong. And if you're listening to the show and not in the group, what's wrong with you? I mean, that's where the fun really is on a daily basis. Very few other places are you going to get Bruce Cohen's memes and food pictures and other assorted fun facts. I mean, there are other Facebook groups, but then there's ours. Shout out to Kelly Miller for the amazing looking soup that she made the other day and posted, I saved that recipe. I am making that in the next couple of weeks. I can't wait. Yeah, we highly encourage everybody. Post your pics, man. We love to see food. Rule number five. Represent. Do us a favor. Think of one or two friends you have that you think would either enjoy the podcast or enjoy what goes on in the Facebook group. Invite them to join the group. We want to grow and spread the love and share what we do and what everybody else does. You know, the people that we promote, uh, friends of ours that have things. If you've got something going on and you want us to mention you in the plug section, you're active in the group, give us a message. Let us know. We're happy to, to reciprocate that help, I guess, is the way to put it. Yeah. My brother works with a guy and he messaged me on Twitter and like, I don't get on Twitter all the time or whatever the hell it is now X. He's like, Hey, I work with your brother. And uh, he told me you got this show. So I checked it out and I like it. So I told him like a few episodes to check out. Cause he's more like into the old school wrestling stuff, but, but also a current fan too. So that's how we do it. It's spreading, man. It's like poison Oak. <laughs> right now we're kind of in that fucking, we're in that delicate crevasse where crotch meets thigh. We're going to start spreading. 
So I also want to give a shout out to this episode will drop on Halloween technically weekend. So anybody taking their kids out trick-or-treating or going out trick-or-treating yourselves, I'm looking at you, Tim Graff. <laughs> Go out trick-or-treating, have fun, be safe. Somebody gives you a potato. Remember, there are plenty of things you can do with said potato. You can make fries, you can make hash browns, hash potatoes, boiled potatoes, lots of options. Just have fun, be safe. It's one of the most fun holidays of the year. Yeah, watch out for the kids out there, people. Be safe when you're driving because uh, kids are darting in and out of the streets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see pictures of what Dr. Khan's dressing up as for Halloween this year. I'm going to guess an on-call surgeon. <laughs> Whatever he's doing in the interim, he'll be dapper. That's for damn sure. That's right. From all of us to all of you. Adios, muchachos. <laughs> Down the hall